Breathe for those who couldn't. Nine-minute global meditation for justice and peace. So this is the full moon and eclipse. Today, Friday, June 5th. 2020, and you are joining us at Wanda's Picks. So we are going to participate right now. We are going to do the nine-minute global meditation. So we are breathing for those who couldn't. So I'll let you know we can start right now. Take that last inward breath, and we are back in our presence. Ah, yeah. (laughs) So today, I am going to play uh, something from the archives from December 4th, uh, Sherry Hill and... um, we're going to have some folks talking about the African American um, uh, something. I don't know. There's a trauma. There was a trauma conference, and then uh, there's a Poor People's Movement march, and then I close with Ben Vereen. So we're going to play that particular show. But before that, I want to give you a few announcements about some other things that are happening today, just in case um, you didn't know about it. And I'm reading from Wanda's picks. Dot com the um um june the june uh post and uh this weekend tomorrow and sunday Lorraine Hansberry theater uh in collaboration with playground uh and the african american art and culture complex portrayal hill neighborhood center and the museum of the african diaspora are going to be presenting Geneva Jesse's The Rendering Cycle. And uh and that is uh you can go to the Lorraine Hansberry Theater website to find out all about that. It's not a free event. And this today, there's a lot happening today. Today Adrasa is having its film, its monthly film, and uh, you can go to their website, uh A D R S A to find out more about what the film is and what time it is. Pacific Time and Eastern Time. And today, the Association of Black Psychologists, the Bay Area Chapter, presents Black by Design 2, Physically Distanced but Spiritually Connected, African Oneness, and it's featuring a whole lot of folks. And um, it is going to be on Facebook Live, uh, the ABSI website, the ABPSI site, and in um, California, it is from 1 to 3.30, so that's, and then Eastern Time is 4 to 6.30. And then also tonight, uh, the uh, the Tile Network Conscious Art Collective is presenting another talent show, and that's at 8, 8 o'clock to 12 midnight. Is that Pacific Time? No, that's not Pacific Time. <laughs> it's 5 to 9 Pacific Time, so it's 8 to 12 midnight Eastern Time. And uh, you can uh, get the link to register on my website. And then today uh, is um, is a uh, full moon, and also um, it's a partial eclipse. So 
So that should be really beautiful. And and also this weekend, um, <clears throat> there are Ancient Tools for Successful Living virtual workshops. And uh, what are the workshops? There's going to be um, Transcending Stress, COVID-19. That's at 12 noon Pacific time here. And um, uh, Haruk, Haruk, Katar, let's see, let's see. Uh, Heru uh, Kuti or Ogun Meditation and Workshop, and that is following the 1 o'clock. And, uh, yeah, so the workshop started at 12. You need to register in advance. All that's on my website. What else is on my website? I think that's all for right now, and you can look for other things. And I want to also bring bring it to everyone's, everyone's attention that this really wonderful film just became available on Wednesday and if if there were theater openings, it would be in the theater, but there are no theater openings. So you can watch it online. But John Lewis' Good Trouble, a film by Don Porter, is really, 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 really phenomenal. And uh, I wrote a nice little review. And you can read it online. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and lastly, but not least for sure, um, there is a car protest. Um, I call it um, uh, a vehicle uh, hands around the lake, Lake Meredith. That is an elder response to um, an elder response, and it's today through November sixth, first and third Fridays, twelve noon. So you can get in your car. You could join Maafa, San Francisco Bay Area, and Wanda's Picks uh, at Lake Merritt, and we're going to be. Uh, connecting um, at Our Lady of Lords Church, 2808 Lakeshore Avenue. Again, this is a car protest, so you need a vehicle. We're looking for 1,247 cars because that's how many cars it would take to circle the lake. We're going to be doing a car. We're going to be holding hands through our vehicles. We're going to be doing a, yeah, that should be really cool. So um, it's for everyone, particularly uh, people who are over 55 uh, people with disabilities and people who are high high risk. So we're going to be honoring and celebrating Black Lives um, on the first and third Fridays. If you have any questions, you can get in touch with us through um, this radio show, or you can go to maafasfbayarea um, dot com at gmail dot com maafasfbayarea dot com at gmail dot com. And uh, yeah, and so anything else? Hmm. Oh yeah, I just noticed that there's another there's another um car caravan and that is um I just got that. It's uh going to be happening on June seventh at twelve noon and uh where is it starting? It's starting at ten twenty three Peralta Street. Ten twenty three Peralta Street and uh it's hashtag uh George Astor Justice for George Floyd and um and you can uh, let's see where um let's see there's a um there is a uh, a route but i can't quite figure it out right now um let's see yeah so so anyway i'll ask um someone to send it to me and i'll post it in Wanda's pics <laughs> all righty so um without further ado let me um let me start this. Oh, I really wanted to play a song by Dave, and it's not the radio play, and I don't know 
Yeah, really, really, I really like it. And um, and I'm not certain how one, yeah, I, I don't know if there was a clean version of it, but um, yeah. So I'll I'll figure it out and play it next time. So here we are. Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Be safe and be strong. And be and do what is uh what is uh representative um uh Lewis say? Uh he says uh in in the um the film <laughs> to um yeah, it's a really let me tell you what he says. It's actually in the title of the film. Um, yeah. It's called um what does he say in the film? He says, uh oh, good trouble. Good trouble. Yeah. You know, stir up some good trouble. So yeah, so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna keep on stirring up good trouble because black lives do matter. Right? Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are going to um, start with a pre <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. We're going to start with a rebroadcast of a little teaser um, from mm, seven years ago, <laughs> we we had a conversation with Ben Vereen. Uh, he was at what was then called the Raz Room at Hotel Nico, and uh, it was just really exciting speaking to him. And uh, our um, our first uh, guest is going to be arriving about in about fifteen minutes. So just just enjoy this uh, little snapshot from the past. <laughs> What would I like to know? That is so cool. Well, gosh, um, hmm, maybe we should uh, talk about what's bringing you out here to San Francisco. You've got a, a new CD and you've got a new show, and maybe you could tell us about what you're bringing to the Raz Room uh, June 12th. What I'm bringing to the Raz Room? Yeah, yeah. What a great this. <laughs> hmm. Of course. Give us some details. <laughs> Who? Because I think you're bringing a band, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And some new material. Yes, yeah, some new material. And you know, I'm working on a, a show that I'm taking to Broadway. Mm. So I'll be working on that there, and so it's going to be exciting. Oh, so you're going to test it out on us? That's great. We love mm-hmm. that. Okay. So you're going to be, um, I believe, um, sort of. Bring uh, back some some old favorite tunes and honoring some of your favorite goodies. folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oldies but goodies, yeah. That's... Oldies but goodies. You know, <laughs> people that you know that we grew up with and have touched my life. You know, people I've worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, Sammy Davis, Frank Sinatra. You know, people yeah. like that. Bob Fosse, Tom um, mm-hmm. O'Horgan. You know, and hair. I did hair, matter of fact, right there in San Francisco. You did. You all in theater, yeah. Wow. I came up some time ago, and I found, I discovered a guy named Michael Philip Thomas. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he did, he was doing burgers. So I hired him in Los Angeles, and uh, he hurt his back. And so they called me to come up to the Opium Theater to cover for him. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, you know, we really got to be good friends years ago. 
Mm. And then I was at the On Broadway Theater where there's no place to be somebody. Charles Cardone's play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so San Francisco and I have a history. Yeah. I lived in Berkeley for a while. You did? Yes, I did. Wow. Matter of fact, there was a guy named Wasserman, I believe. And uh, he wrote an article on me. I did my first concert at the On Broadway Theater hmm. in those years. Yeah. And got my launch there. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> so you have some dear memories of the Bay Area. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Oh, that's dear, wonderful. Dear, dear memories. <laughs> wow, that is so awesome. I was reading your lovely, but I just love that caricature of you on your on your website. It's so cute. Well, thank you. Thank and then you. your photographer, you got some great photographs, you know, when they're sort of um, you know, going through the um, you know, sort of showing you the different different looks of Ben Vereen. Yes. yes. <laughs> Those are really thank nice you. too. And you've gotten like what, 10 doctorates? <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, I'm like, wow, you're like, yeah, wow, I was like, mm, so wonderful. And I was looking at one was from um, the Megar Evers College there in, in um, Megar Evers. Yeah. yeah, is that in Brooklyn? No. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. And they sponsor um, a, uh, a ritual every year, the second Saturday in June. It's called um, Libations for the Ancestors, and it's an uh, international pouring for our ancestors that uh, died or made that passage, you know, during the uh, the European slave trade. And, um, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it's a really well, old I'm celebration. I'm honored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Honored. Yeah, and I thought, wow, how fitting, um, you mm-hmm. know, sort of looking at, you know, your your really famous role in in Roots, and I was watching some of the segments on Oprah's um, website. And oh yes, when we did the reunion. Yeah, yeah, and and the yeah. part where you talked about how you really wanted to be in the 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 uh, the film, and and how your agent was saying, well, you know, you're a song and dance man. They need an actor. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. That was yeah, funny. I, I fired him. <laughs> oh, good, good. You need someone vision, someone with yeah, vision for vision. sure. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and so I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, I was thinking one if we could start with, you know, that Chicken George character, um, uh, and um, and sort of, you know, your preparation, you know, w- within your life for that role uh, as the child of of, of a rape, and um, and then you know, sort of being known by that. Uh, you know that bird, the chicken, the chicken which is used to venerate the ancestors, and, mm. and you know, sort of stands for, you know, life, you know, fertility. Because oh, every look day, at look at you, look at you, you got it all down. You don't need to be read, just write it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might not agree with me, you know. Thank you, my queen. Thank you very much. Yeah, Thank but you. I just thought about you know, sort of the whole renewal, and then and then within your personal life. Um, you know, finding out that you have another family mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. having that the one. Wonderful... That wasn't until later, yeah, in years. I... Mm-hmm. My, my baby daughter, Quran, mm-hmm. came to me one day and said, Dad, you know, you know, Mom has her history, but we don't, you know, you, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go for my search. It's interesting that I did Roots, and I really didn't have any knowledge of my past until, you know, I went to Europe uh, with Sammy Davis, Jr., and um, he said, you know, you have to get a passport. 
and I went down to get a passport, and I found out that I wasn't who I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that's when I, my search began. You know, so for me, doing Roots was really interesting because I was doing a part of a, a story about legacy, but I hadn't found mine. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it was quite overwhelming. It was quite overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I was wondering, so when you, when you, um, like you have, it sounded like you had a wonderful, you know, childhood and, and family that raised you, um, Oh, you did. I did. Yeah. 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 Love personified. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting because when I when I found this out, the woman who raised me, Pauline Green, mm-hmm. uh, she uh, when I found it out and I came back from Europe and I looked at her, and she was really taken by this whole discovery because she would never wanted me to know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I looked at her and I told her, I said, "You're the only mother I know. You're the only eyes I saw when I looked up. You know, so you're my mom." You know. Mm-hmm. And so we left it that way. That's what she came and she told me what had happened. And uh, she told me about my mother. And uh, when my daughter said, you know, Dad, we got to find, you know, who your people are. And uh, we went looking. Mm-hmm. And I found them about, uh, oh, four years ago, five years ago now. Oh, it's been that recent? Yes, it's been that recent. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. And it's an interesting thing, and I'm writing it about an hour. My mother, my original mother lived an hour away from me, but she didn't know who I was. She went looking for me. Mm. And uh, when you know, in 1946, when you say to go to the police and say you have lost a child, they weren't interested. You know, I'm supposed to be an African American woman. You know, mm. so she stayed there two years looking for me. Wow. And um, and then she went to she lived in Connecticut, one hour away from me. So mm. you got to read the book because it's very interesting about how we got back together. Yeah. She's no longer with us, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. She passed. Um, yes. That's that's amazing. Um, yeah, and so how how did your mother, you know, your your mother, you know, f- who raised you, how did she, how did they find you? Uh, well, it's a, it's a couple of stories. One is that my mother, um, it's in the book. <laughs> yes, read the book. <laughs> okay, okay, I will, I will <laughs> totally read. I'm not one of those people you tell me the punchline and I don't listen yeah, to the joke. Yeah, she, you, t- um, you tell me the ending and I will still read the book. Don't worry. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. Well, what happened was, was supposedly my mother, um, my, my birth mother, yes. was, uh, they met when, in, in a storm. And um, she was my supposedly according to the story I got that she was homeless, mm-hmm. and uh, my mother took her to the woman who raised me took her to her her uh, apartment, mm-hmm. and uh, after I was born she was sent the woman left, but that wasn't the story that I found out, mm-hmm. and um, so when I found out that the, my mother actually left her w- left her with friends there, left me with friends in in Miami, went back to look at my sister and brother to take care of her children she had prior to another marriage. And came back and I was gone. Mm. Oh, so that's okay. that's the story I got from my from my family, from right. me, you know, the mm-hmm. Pearsons. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and and then your character, um, you know, Chicken George, um, you know, he goes away and then he comes back and um, he his family and then brings his family to freedom. Yeah, yeah, and mm-hmm. then and then he tells his grandson the story of that first African. Right. <laughs> it's like come a full circle, and That's and it's right. and it so marries your real life, doesn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so whoa, what's going on here? You know, the synergy, you know, yeah. the serendipity. You know, what's so interesting <laughs> is that you know how I got that role. Mm-hmm. I mean, out of all the actors, because I wasn't an actor, I'd done Pippin, I'd done Broadway, mm-hmm. but I hadn't done, I hadn't, I hadn't been in any films or anything like that. And it was fortuitous that uh, the producer happened to be in the audience of one of my shows. I used to do a character called Burt Williams, 
who you know was one of our early performers, great stars, mm-hmm. who you know suffered the ridicules of prejudice in this country. And uh, you know, he said, "Yeah, I don't mind being you know you know a black performer." He says, "But in America, it's an inconvenience." That was his line. Mm-hmm. And so I used to do a parody on him, which I got ridiculed for, you know. But I used to do a parody on him about the ridiculousness of what we had to go through. And I was doing it in Savannah, Georgia. And I looked up one day, and there was the producer, Stan Margulies, in the audience. And he saw my Burt Williams, and he came backstage. He said, I want you to be my Chicken George. I didn't know who a Chicken George was or what a Chicken George was. So we hadn't read the book. And I said, yes, because I'd heard about it. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, and I, I got the role. And it was uh, quite a journey. Right. Quite a journey. To this day, mm-hmm. we still talk about it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, 30-some-odd years later, we're still talking about it. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, because it was for you. It was definitely for you um, in a lot of ways. I mean, and it's probably yeah. becoming more and more yeah. apparent why as, as you know, you have, you know, as the years pass and the moments pass, like, wow, yeah. Because I was just thinking about when I when I read that story about Burt Williams and, you know, you're, you're portraying him, and, and I thought about, you know, the minstrel tradition and mm-hmm. and the Scottsboro Boys, you know, mm-hmm. on Broadway, yeah, you know, as yeah. a musical yeah. and reverse minstrel with the black folks wearing white face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and then and then I don't know if you know um this uh uh playwright, but you probably do, her name is because she's she's in New York and, and you know the folks there, um, Dale or Orlander Smith. Mm-hmm. Um she oh, yes. did, yeah. oh you do know, okay. Well she's she's at Berkeley Rep now, um, doing her Black and Blue Boys, Broken Men. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And um and I was just thinking about, you know, your humanitarian work and, and your lectures around um around a lot of a lot of things about sort of things that encourage young people, particularly young men and, and women who might not have everything they think they need in their lives to be successful. You know, how to you know, how to be resourceful. Well, it's uh, all within you, isn't it? Mm-hmm, it's just yeah. tapping within you. You know, we look without for everything, but we need to look within because within is all the resources that we need. You know, recently my, my, my last uh, grandchild was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Moses. And, um, Moses? And his wow. Name is Moses. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, my daughter gave me my my, my baby uh, grandchild. He's two years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting in the, in the uh, room when he was born and put him in my hands, and I watched the, the pigmentation coming in Mm. and it seemed like spirit was saying if you need me I'll be right in here Mm. inside here and we look outside for it but within us is all that we need in us is legacy and we and we teach from within without to go out and then we have our legacy in us and all that we need is in spirit Mm. within us you know, and that's what I try to, that's what I try and teach, or that's what I try to teach from when I'm teaching an acting class, or, so you know, teach seminars of, of that nature. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, yeah. But then, you know, you... Well, you'll have to um, go back in the archives to be able to hear the rest of this wonderful interview with Ben Vereen. Um, gosh, seven years ago. <laughs> but we are joined in the studio by another guest that, whom we just love speaking to, um... Bibi Ben, good morning. How are you? Good, good. I'm good. A little tired, so uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So wow, you're gonna um, you're having your Mbongi Square Festival kicks off. Um, I guess on the 15th or or sooner than that. 
Yeah, on the 15th, we are starting with a workshop series. Uh, so the mm-hmm. workshop starting on the 15th with a dance and spoken word uh, workshop. Yeah, yeah, it looks really awesome. Which which festival is this for you? Because I know it's been happening for a while. Which which um, yeah, annual this, is this? This is uh this is the sixth sixth seventh edition. Six, I'm gonna forget it. <laughs> uh, oh, it's okay, the sixth six edition. or seven. Nice. Yeah. Seven. Okay. So it's six, oh. uh, but seven. It should be seven, but there is an edition that we canceled. Instead of owning a, a full edition, we only had uh, lectures and workshops because we did not have enough funding, so the the event mm-hmm. couldn't happen. So, but officially, this will be the sixth edition where we have the full the full event, which includes the workshops and dance. I mean, mm-hmm. and art, mm-hmm. dance, perform, perform, performing arts. Right, yeah, yeah. You um gosh, it's been so many years since I saw you for the first time as a part of the San Francisco um International Arts Festival. That was like a long oh, time yeah, ago. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah, things have uh, yeah. changed and grow and uh, so yeah. So yeah. but the and same then, you know, same business, mm-hmm. same creation, making artwork, making dances and teaching dance and it's pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, the same, just different different project and different also there is growth. Different project with more um more creativity, probably, you know, understanding the body, understanding the work of the business of art differently than I used ten years ago. So Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, your wonderful piece you did um for Afro Solo, um I don't know, maybe 3 years ago, if I can't I can't remember, but just sort of talking uh, about sort of that translation yeah. of of blackness in in a space where you know, whiteness is the norm and <laughs> and um yeah, you just tell such great stories and then I know you had a series and you might still have it where you bring people together just to sort of talk about race and culture um, in in spaces where, um, well, something that we don't talk about enough, and and how that informs our interactions, um, you know. And then the whole thing around having Mbungi, you know, that is the space where people solve issues, you know, coming from Kikongo culture. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about sort of the the grounding of of, of this particular um, type of of work that you do, and tell us about this festival because you have like some really dynamite people teaching classes and poetry workshops, and then you're going to have a performances that people can also attend, and you're in different spaces as well for the festival. So give us a website, and then tell us about sort of the intricacies of like philosophically where this is coming from and aesthetically where this is coming yeah, from. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. Yeah, all that. Okay. Absolutely. So first of all, to find all the information, our website is um, bongifest.org, bongi spell M-B-O-N-G-U-I, fest as F-E-S-T dot O-R-G. So mbongifest dot O-R-G. So if you go on the website, you'll find all the information you need as a workshop schedule and also performance schedule. So this year we have uh, two performances venue. The opening night is going to be at the Temesca Art Center. This is in Oakland. And uh, 
and that's on the twin on uh, Sunday the twentieth, and then, I mean on on Friday the twentieth. I'm sorry, and then Friday and Sunday December twenty first and twenty second. This the show is going to be at the uh, Charles Anderson Dance Center. This is in Berkeley, and workshops are scattered between uh, Tamaskal Art Center. Uh, Short Anderson and the flight deck. This is downtown, a venue downtown Oakland. You go on the website, you're going to find all the information that you need, and we encourage you to come attend the workshop or come to the lecture. We have a lecture on this on the December 19th. This is about me. I'll be giving a lecture demonstration about Central African sacred sculptures according to Sinkonzi. Uh, as of the festival itself, it's the same the same uh, credo, the same belief that led uh, for the, which is, that inspired the creation of the festival. Me coming from the Congo and moving to America, living in San Francisco in a place where, you know, it's diverse and also the race is a big issue. As I always say, I became black when I moved to America, but before I was just a human being. So when I came here, you know, I became black, so I'm a black man now, but you know, I didn't know there was such a thing before. <laughs> Um, so it's just seeing how race is such a hot topic in America. In, you think, you know, California, Berea, pretty much everywhere you go, being black is a very, uh, it's a everyday, uh, it's almost a task or something. It's, it's tiring, I have to say. I'm tired because uh, you leave, you have to assume it. I don't want to assume my blackness necessarily. I want to assume my humanity. I'm a human being first before really being black, and I want to live in the world just as another normal being, human being without having to face really strange questions sometimes. <laughs> but uh, the festival really got inspired by looking at the communities around you. You have, you know, uh, uh, Latin American community, Asian communities, you have uh, African communities, African American communities, and the LGBT communities. So everybody kind of organized themselves in the communities, but interestingly, uh, the communities were not intersecting, are not regularly intersect. Everybody kind of in their own corner, everybody trying to do their own thing for the community. And then I felt like communities became like a disease in its own, on its own. So the more you live in your community, you're not crossing, you're not going across the street to say hi to your neighbor. Uh, you're not going, uh, you know, two blocks away to just be. And it becomes like this is, we have, we, like we've marked territories. Like, oh, that territory, I cannot go there. Oh, this is my territory. That's not your territory. But And then there is that thing about, hey, the dance community, this community, even within dance community or music community, whatever, you see that kind of disease. For me, it became like a dream. What if we had a world where all the communities are actually, actually connecting, where we can see ourselves, not necessarily by the skin, uh, the color of our skin, but just thinking like, hey, these are people, yeah, human beings. I can be in these places, I feel safe. I can be, I feel safe, whatever. I don't know about these people. I can learn because that's how we are. You know, we learn from each other. So Mbongi Square Festival came just the idea of bringing, uh, bringing people together, reinforcing that notion of, of togetherness. Even Mbongi itself, the word Mbongi is a word from the Congo language of Central Africa. It means uh, a place where people come together. So it means togetherness. In that place, there are no strangers. We eat together. We drink together. 
we do things together and of course we also fight together but after we fight we make peace <laughs> so that's 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 uh inspired Bongi. so for me in the barrier i just dream of a place where come together so in the the, the festival i like uh, murta not only murta it's not not no, it's not only a murta disciplinary art festival but it's also I'd like the, the, the wealth for our differences, the different, uh, our different racial backgrounds. So that's the emphasis we put on the festival. Um, and you can come in a festival. You see in one evening, it's, it's an old meta-disciplinary art in one evening. So you come in one evening of performances, you go, you're going to see dance, music, spoken word, uh, visual arts. You, you have all the package in one evening. We don't separate venues as such as that's the venue for spoken word or this is the venue for dance. No. We have all of it on one stage. Everybody shares the 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 platform and share the talents. So that's really the idea about uh in Bongi Square and uh, we are just hoping that uh, if the festival gonna keep growing and inspire inspire people and also we ask uh the artists, even if they're free to present whatever work they have, but we try to encourage them to present work that highlights, that talks about, you know, social justice and just kind of reminding us about our humanity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, of the artists that you have presenting um, this year, you've got Shoshanda Parker, um, yourself, Luke Ibata, um who is the yeah, um uh, we got Uzo, um Nwakpo, um and we have Afia Thompson and Daria Simpson who is the poet. Um I was wondering, are any of these artists new to uh, Mbungi Festival, Mbungi Square Festival or are and are any like one people that go back um you know, seven years besides yourself, of course, as as founder. <laughs> uh, they they are new. Uh, the the only person who is not new to the fest, two people who are not new to the festival, which is uh, Uzo and Afia Thompson. They've been to okay. the festival before, but the rest mm-hmm. of them are new to the festival. Nice. Yeah, nice. besides, so those are they new to the festival, and also we try to. Uh, yeah, they are, they, are, they are artists who, uh, who come back because they have new work and they're evolving. They also, you know, their work is evolving, they're progressing, but we try to always have new people. Like the cast and the performances, the majority mm-hmm. of the people this year is like brand, that new people. I don't, I don't, I haven't even met them. I don't know them. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm okay. going to meet them the day of when they come for tech rehearsals and the day of the show, so... Most of the people mm. in the class this year, I don't know them. They've never been here. So, so yeah, and that's the idea. The idea is about discovering also new voices, new voices and new um, uh, philosophies and new ways of doing uh, how people are putting the arts uh, out there. We cannot stick and uh, just uh, schedule people we know uh, because of the relationship. Or, no, we need to really look into... Uh, who hasn't been yet? Also, this year we had an application process. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for application process, a lot of people came, applied. So, those are not necessarily people we know. But, however, we also invited some people that we knew because if we, during the application process, 
if we see the match, most of the people who apply are just dancers or most people are musicians. We need to balance. So inviting people to perform for us is about balancing uh, the meta-disciplinary. We don't, uh, we don't, we like this year, we don't have visual arts, which it, uh, it hurts me a little bit. <laughs> we don't mm -hmm. have visual, uh, visual arts, uh, but it is okay. But however, we have the rest of the form. So application process is always like, 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 like that. You cannot, you don't predict what you're going to get, but you can select. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and try to oh. balance. Mhm. Mm okay. And and I have a question. Um, sorry, we have such a short time to talk, but I'm glad I'm glad you could sit us in after you drop your daughter off to school. That's so awesome. You know that that you know dad is taking his daughter to school. That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, so Thursday you're giving a lecture demonstration on Nkisi Nkandi, and and I was just wondering if you could um talk about. And I want to let people know the Timiskel Art Center is located at 411 48th Street in Oakland. Um, and, and you're going to have a special guest, Baba Rubin. I was wondering if you could um, could talk a little bit about Nkisi Nkandi, um, particularly as as relates to um, Mbongi, because Mbongi is a space where, where problems, community come together and, and articulate issues as well as resolve them. And they don't resolve them until they don't disband or they don't, they 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 commit to to the circle until um, until the issue is resolved and and then you take Nkisi and you sort of put a nail in it like okay this is over we are you know we are all in agreement once again so I was just wondering if you could uh, <laughs> if you could tell us a little bit about yeah, uh, in our yeah absolutely about uh, the importance of it this, there is a lot to talk about in Kisi. That's why I have a lecture. <laughs> I encourage people to come to the lecture mm -hmm. on December 19th. So basically, in Kisi is a statue that was uh, found in the territory of uh, which is today the Republic of Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Angola. Back in the day, there was one territory, the king, the, the big kingdom of Congo. So you had uh, the Kisi. You see the Kisi. You look at the Kisi just as a medicine. And uh, there was there's a medicine, and there's there is this person, spiritual healer called Nganga. So Nganga is uh, in. Let's look at Nganga as a doctor. So when you have a problem, you have a, you know a disease, you go to the doctor, you say your symptoms, and then the doctor listens to your symptoms, and your doctor prescribe a medicine, uh, gives you a prescription, you go buy medicine, and then that's your cure. And then Nkisi was pretty much the same, it's just different practices. So Nkisi is a medicine. The name Nkisi means medicine. Konzi means hunter. It's the word, it's a statue, it's a medicine that hunts. So a medicine, this medicine here, uh, once you have, uh, there is a problem in a community. It can be disease, it can be there is not enough rain, it can be uh, a dispute, or it can be people stealing contract. You and I will enter into business. Uh, we need to uh, seal a contract. We go... Uh, see the Nganga, this healer, but the healer here becomes a, like a lawyer. So if you enter into legal contract for cause of doing business, we go see the, the, the Nganga, you determine the terms of our contract, and the Nganga listen to you, and after you get done, it's going to take uh, substances. The, the, the statue has nails all over the body, and by the, the area, the stomach area, the belly button area, there is a box. In that box, the Nganga puts substances like 
uh, he knows the secret. I'm not Nganga, but uh, depending on whatever is going on, the Nganga knows what to put in the box. It can be different leaves, it can be roots found in nature, it can be uh, feathers, it can be different substances depending on the matter, depending what's going on in the, with the people or in the communities. So once the Nganga takes the, 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 the substances put in the box and then gets the nail, it does in quotations, as you can ask you to clap or sing or say some words himself as a secret. He inserts the nails in the body of the statue and then asks you to leave. And pretty much that will be the cure or that's the contract that's been sealed or that's pretty much the, 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 the solution to the problem. And eventually they have, there were thousands and thousands of kisses because like the doctor, not every doctor solves all problems. We, they have, we have brain surgeons, we have uh, uh, pediatricians, we have uh, all kinds of doctors who, who deal with different kinds of body, body, body parts. So the Nganga is the same. So not all Nganga solve all kinds of problems. So if there is a bigger, bigger problem in the community, like, hey, it's not raining, like California, now it's raining, but sometimes we have a problem issue with rain. So you need Nganga who is, uh, was initiated to bring in the rain. If there is uh, uh, like an epidemic in the community, epidemic in the village, the Nganga, this Nganga is known for that. There is Nganga with species specialities to eat joints. So that was the same pretty much. And I did the research on this in Kisi because growing up in the Congo I didn't know about this Kisi in Konzi. And even my family nobody knows about it. First time I encountered the statue was in France, in Paris, in a museum in Paris. As I saw it, I'm like this in Kisi, this statue is fascinating. I found about it and started researching about it. I went on full and doing my master's degree at St. Mary's College. I complete my master's in part of my thesis. I, I, I re, in case of research, it was also part of my thesis, my thesis project. So, uh, yeah, there is a lot to talk about, a lot of findings. This is just a little a resume about in case Basically, uh, you know, in, in Kissing Kondi, on this whole process, there is dance also, there is movement. But we don't see movement here just as, oh, it's African dance movement. No, no, no. Movement is... I won't say life because that may sound cliche, but it's really translating the life of the people, the event, the histories of the people, really, in the full movement and different events for movement. It's not just dance. And we have the cosmology, which is the Congo, the Congo belief system on the, in the formation of the universe, and also in our life cycles. As we live, as we born, we grow, we we transition. We don't die. We transition into reaching ancestral. Uh, uh, status and then coming back. So they are in this uh, in this uh, in this uh, the the Congo cosmogram that we call the, uh, the Kenga Kenza Congo. You find just how we actually believe in our how the body exists in space and time. Really. So I really encourage everybody to come to the lecture. We have different kind of statues, different kind of shapes, and different kind of meanings and different practices. And you know, um, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for the real short version of this real, really important and fascinating topic about Nkisi and about um, about our ancestors and about healing and about how you know you know this medicine shows up. You know, I mean, you know, medicine. Uh, I mean, like Nkisi actually is an embodied state as well. Like, you know, like we carry the medicine, right, from our ancestors. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this is so cool. Oh, I am so going to be in the house. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> so that's going to so, be really nice. It's kind of like kicking off the the festival, right? And seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. So encourage everybody to come, come check us, uh, come check us out, come support the artists. Um, yeah, just go on the website. All the informations are there because we have a lot of activities. I cannot mm-hmm. resume <laughs> all of them, at least at this. So for details, go on the website, bongifest.org, um, and uh, really we'll be looking forward to seeing you, your friends, and meet, meeting you, basically. Um, yeah, well, what else do we have that I didn't mention about the festival? Um yeah, I believe, uh, you know, unless you have questions for me. Otherwise, I have uh, also, you know, we ask people to always support when you go on the website with uh, a donation page. If you see you like what we do, you think the message is uh, what the world needs and support us in any ways that you can. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but all of that, we're just always excited to bring in the festival, to bring in dance. I'll be dancing myself. I'll be presenting a solo work. I'm excited about it. Uh, I know it's hard to be the organizer and also be the dancer in a festival, but I need to be dancing. I don't need to be watching people dance like that. (laughs) (laughs) I so agree. Oh, that's going to be awesome, too. And uh, my next guest is in the studio, but when are you dancing? So people can also put that in their their, uh, calendar. You're you're speaking on the the 19th, and when are you dancing? I'm going to be dancing on the opening night. Which is okay, uh, 20, okay. the 20th. I'll be dancing on mm-hmm. the 20th. Yeah, okay. and, and, and that's when the venue will be Tamaskal Art Center. Okay, cool. Yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> so. And you're, in, um, you're also going to uh, teach some dance classes, right? Yes, I am teaching. Uh, I'm teaching. I'm teaching. Pretty much every day in all of these workshops, so I'm sharing space oh, okay. with all the the guests, the, the guest uh, uh, teachers. So, okay. yes, I'll be there every day. Every every day I will be there, <laughs> dancing and teaching different dance styles. I'll be teaching traditional. I'll be teaching uh, two dance styles: traditional dance, ethnic dance from the Congo, and I'll be teaching Afro. Mm-hmm. Urban pop dance, which is a, a mix of Afrobeat and some other popular street dance from uh, from all over the continent and Congo. Um, right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm okay. not teaching contemporary guys. Come dance with us. All right. Well, thank you so much, um, BB Ben, for joining us to talk about your seventh annual Bungie Square Festival uh, again, um, December. Uh, 15th through 22nd in a variety of, of locations. So just visit bungifest.org, M-B-O-N-G-U-I-F-E-S-T.org for all the information. You have a good rest of the day. I look forward to seeing you at the festival. Thank you, Wanda. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're quite welcome. You take good care. Peace and blessings. Thanks. Bye. Ah, good morning, Nell Myhan. How are you? I'm okay, Wanda. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. It's been a very long time. My goodness. It's been too long since we've last spoken, and you're just busy, busy doing all this great work in the community. Um, You're a longtime Oakland resident, 
who have been working for justice since the 1970s, and you're a member of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, Bay Area Steering Committee, and you're also doing some really wonderful work uh, in Richmond, California presently. So um, the reason why I was really happy to um, to talk to you was because of the uh, California Poor People's Campaign, um, a national call for moral revival, is, is having a 22-state We Must Do More tour, mobilizing, organizing, registering, educating, building toward a mass poor people's assembly and moral march on Washington on June 20th, 2020, which is my birthday. And and it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, and I didn't even know <laughs> that you were like so, but I'm not surprised, so intricately connected. And and then learned about your art build project as well. So it's like, whoa, how cool. So, yeah, talk to us. <laughs> Well, I want to start by thanking you for having us on the show because we are trying to get the word out about the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival, because mm-hmm. there are 140 million low-income in, low to low-income people in this country, 43.5% of the population. And elected and public officials can barely say the word poor. They can't even bring themselves to acknowledge how many people are impacted. And so the Poor People's Campaign is organizing people in 40 states to lift our voices so that we can be heard, recognized, and have our needs addressed. Yeah, there are, we're, we're really addressing what we call the five pillars of injustice, systemic racism, poverty, the bloated military budget, ecological, ecological devastation, and what we call the distorted moral narrative, which is that there's a myth that people are poor because of some personal failing and that there's not you're, enough you're, money. Danelle, you're, you're breaking up. Um, uh, I want to make sure people can hear everything you're saying. You're kind of like we're not hearing all of every word. Um, is this better? Keep on going. Is so this far. better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a myth that people are poor because of some personal failing. But when you look at the numbers, 43.5% of the population, that really makes it, makes it absurd to think that that many people are poor because of some personal failing. So we're addressing policies, the policies that have made people poor and hold people in poverty. And we have a moral budget that talks about how the Priorities, the financial priorities can be changed so that the needs of the people and the planet can be prioritized over the corporations and the uber rich. Oh, so that's what we're doing. Oh, oh, there you go. So are. that's okay. what we're doing <laughs> as the Poor People's Campaign. And the MORE tour, like you said, is a 22-state tour coming across the country, mobilizing people to come to Washington, D.C. in June of 2020. The MORE more stands for Mobilizing, Organizing, Registering, and Educating People for a Movement that Votes. Mm-hmm, because we know that we don't have the power of wealth, but we do have the power of numbers. 
also we want to impress upon, like I said, our public and elected officials that we exist and that we demand to have, you know, our needs be recognized and for and to be prioritized. So the art build that you mentioned earlier, we're a colorful well, before, movement. Before, now, now before you, before you uh-huh. um, shift art build, um, tell people more about, and it's still kind of redundant, but tell people more about the um, the 22 uh, city uh, tour because next week, next Wednesday, um, the tour stops here in San Francisco, and and I want people to be able to like volunteer if they want to, to march if they want to, to definitely be at um, uh, at Glide Memorial for the talk. So if you could tell people more about that, there's also where a website and also the Facebook so that they can get plugged in and get these announce, get these um, alerts about things they can do to help build toward the campaign campaign's um, large assembly in Washington, D.C. on the, June 20th, 2020. Great. Well, the Moore Tour is stopping in San Francisco. It's the only California stop, and that's happening December 11th, Wednesday, December 11th. At 545, we're going to gather in San Francisco at City Hall, and we will march starting at 6 o'clock from City Hall to Glide Memorial Church, which is at 330 Ellis Street in San Francisco, and there we'll have a mass meeting. And we're really looking forward to that because we are going to have testifiers, people who are directly impacted, thinking about their stories, sharing their stories. One of our goals is to change the narrative, and we do that by changing the narrator. And so we are really about lifting the voices of those people who are directly impacted so that we can speak for ourselves and rather than being spoken for. So in San Francisco on Wednesday, December 11th, and people can find us on Facebook if they if they go if they put into Facebook Poor People's Campaign More Tour, then it'll come up and you can RSVP there and it has all the information that you need. Okay, super. Yeah. Thank you. So the other thing that's going to happen at the at that Glide Memorial Church is that we're going to get to hear from Reverend William Barber and Reverend Liz Theo Harris, who are the co-chairs of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. So... Mm-hmm. That are always very inspiring speakers who really know how to bring. Oh, you're you're breaking up really bad again. <laughs> Can't hear you at all. Mm-mm. Yeah, still can't hear you. Oh, sorry about that. So, yeah, Reverend William Barber and Reverend Liz C.O. Harris will be there, and they really know how to deliver a message about saving the heart and soul of the democracy because mm-hmm. the the question, you know, that often gets raised is how can we afford to take care of all the people who are poor? 
And the question that the poor people campaign raised is how can we afford not to because mm-hmm. it is the, the mandate of the Constitution to take care of the people. And so, yeah, so we're going to get to hear from them. Nice, nice, yeah. So tell us um, about Art Bill. Is Art Bill going to be present as well um, at the um, um, the uh, trying to think of the name of it at the um, event next week? At at the what? At the event next week. Um, are are you all going to have a presence at Glide Memorial? Yeah. Um, Yes, absolutely. We intend to oh. really celebrate the work that we're the the work of the Poor People's Campaign visually, and we so we we're a colorful movement, and you know we try to get put our message out messages out in lots of different ways because different people respond to different things, and mm-hmm. so we have. We're working with David Solnit, who is an artist who's well-known in the movement for the work that he's done. He does a lot of work around climate justice, and he is has uh, agreed to host us for an art build at his studio, which is at 23 Main Avenue in Richmond. It's called Bridge Storage and Art Space, 23 Main Avenue in Richmond. And that event can also be found on Facebook if you if you Google Poor People's Campaign More Tour Art Build. And that's happening tomorrow, Thursday, December 5th, starting at 6 o'clock and ending at 9 o'clock. And if people need a ride, they can let us know on Facebook and we can pick them up. It's close to Richmond Bart, but not close enough to walk. So we're going to be shoving people if they need a ride from Richmond Bart. So, so what's going to happen at Art Build? It's you know it's interesting because I'm I don't think of myself as an artist, but I went to Chicago. We recently had a convening in Chicago, and there were 22 states represented there. And before the convening, there was a three-day Art Build, and I was reluctant to go because I don't think of myself as an artist, and I don't. You know, I, you know, I, I just have a whole lot of feelings about about how to participate in that realm. But I went anyway because I had the time and it felt like it was an honor to be invited. And mm-hmm. there were three artists there who, including David Solnit and Rich, Ricky Rodriguez and Aaron, I think his last name was Winsome, and they were able to break the component parts down into and then made it so accessible that it was a joy to participate and so um so I'm really fired up about the art build because even though you know like you don't have to have any special skills, all you have to do is be willing and wear some clothes that you don't mind getting paint on and when we were in Chicago, we made seven hundred yards worth of banners and flags and patches and other kinds of art materials, then then all of the people who were there for the convening got to take back packets of materials for their individual states so that when we arrive in Washington, D.C., 
in June of 2020, we will have, you know, these colorful messages that we can use to to put to, to let people know what we're about. So, yeah, so tomorrow, Thursday, December 5th, with David Solman, we will be silk screening T-shirts and flags and patches and having pizza and other snacks so that we can create some materials that we will then use to decorate Glide Memorial Church next Wednesday. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so if people can't make it to the art bill tomorrow but are interested in volunteering on Wednesday, we're going to be gathering Wednesday, December 11th at Glide Church at 3 o'clock to decorate the space and to prepare for the event that's happening that evening. Oh, wow, that sounds really great. Yeah. Ah. Hmm. So what, um, how did you become involved with um, the Poor People's Campaign? How did you find out about it? Mm-hmm. Well, I had been hearing about Reverend William Barber from the work that he did in North Carolina organizing people to commit acts of civil disobedience on what they call Moral Mondays because they were dealing with some serious gerrymandering and other forms of voter suppression. And so he started organizing people to protest. And so that grew into, a couple of years ago, that grew into you know, recognizing that North Carolina isn't the only place where we're dealing with voter suppression. So it grew, grew into a national movement. And in 2018, they had 40 days of action and had, I don't know, 30 or 35 states across the country where over 2,000 people committed acts of civil disobedience and got arrested at the state houses. And there were folks here in California who went to Sacramento during that 40 days of action and got arrested. But I hadn't heard about it at that point. And so I hadn't heard about it until earlier this year. There was a truth and poverty tour that came across the country, stopping in some of the poorest locations in the in the United States and hearing from people who were directly impacted by systemic poverty, racism, militarism, ecological devastation, and the distorted moral narrative. And uh, and so the Bay Area Steering Committee invited me to come speak there as a directly mm-hmm. impacted person because there were people on that committee who knew some of my story, which is that in... 2013, after a three-year fight with Chase Bank, they foreclosed on the home that myself and my partner had bought in the year 2000. And we had tried for three years to get Chase Bank to modify the mortgage because we had lost income. Uh, For the last five years of my mother's life, I took care of her. I was her primary caregiver because she became unable to live independently. And so when it was the the three of us together with our incomes combined, we were able to make the mortgage. But when she passed away, I lost, you know, this important person in my life, which was hard enough. 
and then I lost income because I had in-home support services income to take care of her, and she had income, and my partner had income. So we, like I said, for three years, sent loan mortgage, loan loan modification paperwork to Chase Bank, and they threw it away or lost it or ignored it or whatever. And so eventually they filed a lawsuit against me, an unlawful detainer lawsuit. And the courts, of course, are side with the banks most of the time. And so I was evicted in January 2013 and became homeless because um, because the rents in the Bay Area, even in 2013, were out of my reach. And so it took me about two years to find affordable housing. And in that two years, I lived in uh, like seven different places in the Bay, in, in Oakland and Berkeley. So... They yeah so they the Bay Area Steering Committee invited me to testify at the hearing, and so when I went to the Poor People's Campaign website, which you can Google Poor People's Campaign, and read the principles and the demands, then I was on board immediately because they really spoke to my most deeply felt values around justice and really I felt represented, you know, like the work that I've been doing for the last 40 years in, in, a, in a way, and they brought together these various issues in a way that I felt was really powerful. So that was how I got involved. Mm. Wow, wow, that's really great. Yeah, um, yeah I guess that's also um validating because a lot of times when when one is under housed or unhoused um, a person feels disappeared like uh, nobody sees me anymore I'm not even human anymore yeah yeah we're really you know there are millions of people across the country who are unhoused and there are more Mm -hmm. empty houses than there are unhoused people and so it really is a stain on our country that we're allowing people to live without housing, which is a basic human right. And here in Oakland, we are we have the experience of a mayor who claims to care about the people, but she is viciously attacking people who are unhoused. In fact, this morning after I finished talking to you, I'm going out to East 14th between 83rd and 84th to an encampment that's being dismantled. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems that when people try to establish, you know, self-built houses and organize themselves in ways to deal with the fact that they are unhoused, that seems to bring down the violence from the state even you know more than one would even could even imagine so you know we we have a lot of work to do in this country in terms of living up to the principles that the country was founded on yeah mm-hmm. hmm yeah that happens too much um the dismantling of um of a uh, alternative communities that that are working um, I remember the big uh, fight to to keep a clean and so clean and sober uh, uh, alternative um, housing 
community in place um, uh, you know went to court and and it but it it ended up being dismantled um that was really uh really unfortunate for the women and children that um were living there yes it yes, it is because you you know mm-hmm. you do what you can to try to survive under the uh, these harsh circumstances, and mm-hmm. it's like getting kicked while you're down, so yeah, we have a lot of work to do mhm, yeah, if mm-hmm. people are available um to join join you and others um at this place where um people are are gonna be once again losing their stability um would you want people to come and witness and assault absolutely yes absolutely yeah mm-hmm. east fourteen between eighty third and eighty fourth is where it's happening this morning, and the people who are in that uh curbside community have decided to resist being evicted because they were evicted not that long ago from a spot not that far away. So they're just being pushed around and pushed around and pushed around. So they've decided to take a stand. So I'm going to go and at least be a witness and help document and, you know, raise my objection. And then the other thing that people can do is they can always call Mayor Libby Schaft or um, email her on you know, on the City of Oakland website and let her know that you object to her policies because they, it's causing people to die. You know, people are doing what they can to survive in this, you know, in the winter and the rains. And then being pushed out of having tents confiscated and self-built structures destroyed it just makes it that much more difficult. So you can call Mayor Libby Shaft at 510-238-3141. That's 510-238-3141. Email office of the mayor at oaklandca.gov. And um, and give people um, some language uh, with which to um, to leave the message, um, either email or or voice or both. Well, without telling people what to say, you can let her know how you feel about her policies, which are removing people who are unhoused from from places where they've been able to establish at least shelter from storms and be able to build community. And you can, you know, make suggestions that she follow the policies that they passed. My understanding is that the city council has passed policies about using public land to provide sanctuary for people to be able to house themselves, you know, to shelter themselves. And that hasn't been implemented. And so there is a disconnect between basically the will of the people and the actions of the mayor. And Joe DeVries, who's her czar of homelessness, as he's come to be known. The czar of homelessness, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that is a really <laughs> that is a really bad way to be known. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it is. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's so much housing going up, and and it's not it's not even touching the um, uh, the community that is like you said remaining unhoused and underhoused. And and I remember when um, the city council that was back when um, Desley um, was was on the council. You know, say well, mm-hmm. just let's just take you know where we we have jurisdiction over the land. You know, because then we don't have to worry about Caltrans and and the railroad and and BART and whatever, and 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 allow that land to be, you know, used for housing people that are under and unhoused until we could do something better. Exactly. Yeah, and, and you're right. It it has nothing has happened around that because I you know and and so much so many of these buildings are empty. Yeah, yeah, and it's cold. It's really cold, and it's wet, and it's not going to get any better because winter hasn't even started. Yeah, can't hear you. Are you still there? Now it's life threatening. Yeah, it's life threatening, and it's it's inhumane. Mhm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and definitely. it should be criminal. Mhm. Well, it is criminal, um, but it, it should be criminalized in the way that people are unjustly cr- criminalized. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you go and witness um, witness this and assist those that are resisting, um, um, you know, being their community being disbanded once again. And uh, yeah, and then tomorrow sounds really awesome. You know, um, the <laughs> with the uh, uh, David Solnit um, art build, and um, and then uh, yeah, next week, you know, uh, preparing yeah. for that. That's going to be really awesome. So, look forward to seeing you next week. I definitely have that on my calendar, and I'm not Great. sure if I can make the art build, but looking forward to seeing what you all create. You know, once I Great. arrive at Glide Memorial. Well, thank you so much, Wanda, for helping us get the word out, and I appreciate all the work that you do in support of the community. Oh, you're quite welcome. Yeah, and you know, mm-hmm. definitely, I'm glad. I'm glad you you are housed again. Um, that's always that's always good, and because yeah. uh, then you then you can you know move a little bit more easily uh, in 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 the resistance um, because it's hard to resist. When you have your basic needs are not addressed, and you Absolutely. know housing, food, you know safety, um, you know mm-hmm. income, you know those are really important uh, that everyone yes, has a right are. to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, you take good care. Thank and you stay so in much. Touch. You're watching. All right. Take care. You too. Mm-hmm. Peace and blessings. Peace and blessings to you. Bye bye. Good morning. How are you? Hi, I'm good. This is Chibweze. This is Wanda. Hmm? Okay, great. I hope I didn't call too early. I tried to not say anything because I didn't want to interrupt the. Oh no, no, no. You're fine. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I um, I just put you, brought you into the studio so you could call as early okay. as you like. Um, <laughs> and listen. Um, so um, uh, is this is this Sherry? No, this is Chibweze. The other artist, oh, okay, yeah, right. Oh, no, no, I I knew you were going to be joining us. Um, I just didn't know how to say your name. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, no you so, said it right. Yeah. Oh, super. And here, this must be uh, this must be Sherry. Good morning. Is that you, Sherry? Hello. Oh no. No, this is Sherry. <laughs> Yeah, her name is uh, pronounced Cherie, I believe, but she'll tell you. Oh, Cherie. Oh, thank Cherie. you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm here. Cherie. Hi. Oh, Good sorry, morning. Cherie, all this time talking to you, and I've been mispronouncing your name in my mind. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Uh, good morning, Cherie. Cherie Hill has been on the show many, many times, and we're just so excited to have you on again. Um, see, so you are a choreographer, dancer, teacher, and scholar. Uh, whose art explores human expression and how it is conveyed through the body in collaboration with nature, music, and visual imagery. Your Irie dance works have been showcased at the African American Cultural Center, the Black Choreographers Festival, the Baobab Festival, San Francisco Cathedral, and more. Uh, lover of dance research, uh, Cherie has published essays in Gender Forum, the Sacred Dance Journal, Dance Education and Practice and in Dance, and has presented at national conferences on topics ranging from dance education to African aesthetics and embedding dance, race, and equity into practice. And um, uh, to be, how do you pronounce your name again? Say it again. My name is Chibweze. Crouch is a queer Nigerian-American uh, Igbo actor and artist from Danbury, Connecticut, uh, Gosset Land, currently living in Oakland, California, um, uh, Chochinyo Ohlone Land. Her creative practice, I like, I like, I like that you, that's really nice um, that you acknowledge where we are, um, you yeah, know, ancestry sure. and the ancestral land. Nice, nice. Um her creative practice straddles theater and performance art, examining diasporic longing and constructions of identity through masquerade, song, text, and multidisciplinary live performance. Uh, Chibizwe, did I do it right or no? Yeah, uh, Chibweze. Oh. I knew I had said it a little different than you did. Chibweze. Uh, Dwayze, uh, has performed at Bravo Theater, Phoenix Hall, San Francisco State University, the National Queer Arts Festival, uh, BAM PFA, Stanford University, and Crowded Fire Theater, among others. Her work is a slow trickle of blood sliding down your forearm, forearm the sweetest juice of an overripe fruit you almost don't notice until it stains your good shirt, and then you can never forget where it came from. Whoa, that's beautiful. Well, welcome to both of you to talk about um, uh, Counterpulse's Dancing Diaspora 2019 uh, tomorrow, <laughs> December 5th through 7th, Thursday through Saturday, and then next week, uh, December 12th through 14th, 7.45 p.m. to 9 p.m. There's a pay what you can on Thursdays. And uh, and you can get tickets at counterpost.org for special forming diaspora 2019. And maybe one of you all can give the the actual physical location. Um, so talk to us. Uh, maybe we could start with you, uh, uh, Cherie, um, about this new work because you're the reason how I know about it. <laughs> you always yeah. happy you let me know about all these great things that Irie Dance is up to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we're really excited. The new piece is called Shevers, and it's 
started when I was in St. Croix, which is part of the U.S. Virgin Islands, a few summers ago, just really um, enjoying being in the water, being on the land there, being in nature, in this slower way of life. And I have ancestry, maternal ancestry from the islands, Jamaica and uh, in Panama, and have always felt very connected to those roots and to that culture. And so I got this inspiration to really start to create movement about land and about femininity and nature and where it is now. And I came back into the studio. I started doing some research, looking into ecofeminism because my work, you know, is always about the black female experience and I use a lot of black feminism in my work. So got turned on into ecofeminism that really talks about correlations between oppression of land and oppression of women through the um, 20th and 21st centuries. And I also started reading more about colonialism in the Caribbean islands. And I read a text called The Tears of the Indians, which is an account of colonialism by the Spanish in the Caribbean islands in 1656 and was just really impacted by the violence that happened there, um, the atrocities that happened in that book. And so really started to navigate my choreographic mind around this place of how can we create a piece that speaks to femininity, that speaks to nature, that speaks to what's happening now with the earth, with climate change and the things happening, and also what's happening with our bodies as women. You know, the Me Too movement was also an inspiration of just women really revealing times that they felt violated and this systematic injustice, injustice that just continues to happen to women. And then also how in the past the treatment of um, indigenous people and Caribbean people and people of color and how we could tie that through in our own way to, to speak our own truth. So that's basically what She Birth is about. It's really just this meditation and this expression about where we are now, how we see land, how we feel land, and how that relates us as women and what's happening in the in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and is your entire is your entire company going to be participating in the work? Um, yeah, there's four dancers. So mm-hmm. uh, Andreina Maldonado and Rose Rothfeder will be dancing, who have danced with Irie Dance for like the last four to five years. So. They're um, taking the stage again. I'll also be dancing. And then we have a new dancer, LaShawn Daly, who's really magnificent, who is a Ph.D. candidate at UC Berkeley and has danced with a lot of different West African dance companies and modern dance companies. So there will be four performers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and do you have your, your usual sort of uh, visual art um, component of the work? Um, and also the music I know is always primary in, in Irie Dance productions. Yeah, yeah. We Yes, the aesthetic is continuing. So Imani Kaprowicz-Smith did video for the work, and I feel like this time we're going really deeper into the video and how we relate to the video. And also the video is 
its own being, I would say, in itself. Um, and so Imani and I worked on that, and there's a lot of scenes in nature to bring into the theater, that nature aspect that we also can commune with as dancers on the stage. And then Bri Zion, who is a dub, reggae, composer, music engineer, also did all of the music. So there'll be different eclectic music happening. We also have some recorded text and a lot of effects and reverbs in the music to help take us to another space and <laughs> place as well. So all of the elements, mm. the music and the video imagery and our dancing and our stories are are kind of meshed together to make the work. Nice, nice. And and why don't you could tell us the name of the book again that um that you were reading about um colonialism. Yeah, it's called Tears of the Indians and it's an account by Tears the Tears of the Indians. It's an account by Bartolomus de Casas from sixteen sixty six. Okay. How do you spell that last name? I mean that um C A R T O M A L A S then D E C A S A. Bartolomus de Casa. Okay, super. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um so, um uh Ms. Crouch, um tell us about Mouthful, and, and it's a collaboration, mm-hmm. right, with um, yes. Gabriel Christian. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes, it's a collaboration between myself and Gabriel Christian. Um, and the piece is basically inspired by each of us examining our respective spiritual lineages, specifically as black queer artists who were both raised in different aspects of the Christian faith. I was raised a Roman Catholic um, by a Nigerian mother who also believed in all kinds of non-Catholic things that came from her cultural background as an Igbo woman. And then Gabriel was raised in the Methodist church, the AME uh, African Methodist church in Harlem. Um, And I grew up in Connecticut, as you already said. And Mm -hmm. so the piece is basically each of us examining those uh, spiritual images, the ways that those Christian faiths um, affected us in our lives, but also trying to look Mm -hmm. back to different forms of African diasporic faith that have survived in black Christian ways of worship, the ways that black people have used uh, Christian faith and molded it to suit their needs in order to help them survive in a world that was not hospitable to them, but also using um, African tradition in the black church, the ways that we worship, the ways that we sing, the ways that we pray differently, even though we might be practicing the same Christian faith as other uh, people of other races. Um, And so kind of the central question, in addition to examining our spiritual backgrounds and how it affected us, was also uh, what's keeping us alive? What are the ways that faith has helped us stay alive, even as it's also um, hindered us in some ways? And what are the ways that, you know, African tradition has survived within Christian faith, has survived in the ways that we worship today? Um, And how can we ultimately create a new kind of faith space, a new kind of inclusive spiritual space where all people can feel welcome? regardless of their connection to church, regardless of whether they even still believe in any kind of God, is there a way that faith can still be radical and transformative, even though it has also been something that has been used? Um, that's kind of the, the central questions that we're exploring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and, and mouth is, is um, there's a forward slash between mouth and full. Yes. And, <laughs> and I presume from the picture, it looks like the two of you are also dancing. So you're, 
you're yeah. actually in the work, right? You are yeah. embodying mm-hmm. this, this conversation. Yep, we are both in the work. Um, the testimonies that we're kind of sharing about our spiritual um, backgrounds are going to be told not only through actual speaking, but also through dance, through video, through live performance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so we'll both be in the piece. And actually, mm-hmm. we're also featuring 11 different artists in, during the two run, two weekends of the show. Every night, we're oh. going to have um, a praise break, is what we're calling it, where different local artists that we've worked with or that we, who we really love are going to be performing in the show with their own mm. kind of performative testimonies about their relationship to faith. And so it's a collaborative mm-hmm. piece between me and Gabriel, but also between these 11 different artists um, from the local Bay Area community. Um, mm. I would love to name some of them, if, if you don't mind. No, I want you to name them all. <laughs> yes. Name them all. Yeah, I'll do my best to name them all. So the featured artists are uh, Monica Hastings-Smith, uh, their percussionist, Mutima Imani, who's an amazing healer, diversity um, uh, and equity consultant. Um, Spelling, who's an amazing singer from the Bay Area. Tyler Holmes, who's also a musician and singer. Europa Grace, a multidisciplinary performer. Bronte Velez, who's a dancer and also does a lot of other amazing activist um, work around gun violence. Um, and then we also are featuring Rashad Pridgen of Global Street Dance Masquerade, mm. an incredible dancer. Uh, who else am I forgetting? Who else am I forgetting? Uh, 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 Rashad, Rashad, who else? Who else? Ah, um, and the last two, oh, yes, Indira Allegra, who's a visual artist and dancer. Stephanie Hewitt, who's a dancer. And I believe that's everyone. I think I got everybody. Oh, and Jose Abad, who's a dancer, <laughs> as well as uh, Wizard Apprentice, who's an amazing musician. Um, and so we kind of paired, we kind of curated these nights and paired different artists with each other who had either never worked before or who we were really excited to see what they might create together. Um, and each night, as I said, they'll be featured in the show during a praise break moment. Hmm. Wow, that sounds really awesome. So is that written yeah. anywhere, um, who your, your praise break guests are going to mm-hmm. be? Um, yep, oh. you can find out who is performing every night if you go to the Counterpulse website and look up Performing Diaspora 2019. Everyone is listed, and they're also being our programs every night. So if you come one night and you're like, whoa, I really like this artist, I want to see who's going to be performing the next day and how that might change the show, you're welcome to come back mm-hmm. and see who's performing and attend as many shows mm-hmm. as you'd like. Um, the idea is kind of like, you know, with, when you go to a church service, you know, sometimes you have different guest um, speakers and guest, you know, preachers yeah. and stuff, right? So we're kind of, that mm-hmm. was kind of the same idea that we were having with having these guest performers in the show who would give their own testimony mm-hmm. about their relationship to faith. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's going to be, that's really, mm-hmm. really great. So, um, yeah. yeah, wow, that sounds really awesome. Who's going to be um, your special guest tomorrow? So tomorrow, for opening night, it's going to be Monica Hastings-Smith, who's, like I said, a very amazing percussionist and musician, and Mutima Imani, who's a healer. Um, She's preached before, although I don't think she would describe herself as a preacher. She's more of a healer and also uh, does amazing work around diversity, yeah, in the Bay Area. (laughs) Oh, that is so cool. How did you you and uh, Christian... um, how did you all meet each other and decide to yeah. to explore this particular topic? Because, you know, this whole thing around that Counterpulse produces, um, you know, this dancing mm-hmm. diaspora is always so awesome. And and um, I don't know how long it's been around, but I, I, it I goes it's back a long now. time. Okay, yeah. 10 years. Yeah, and it's always mm-hmm. so, wow, it's just such a wonderful opportunity to um, to meet artists in an entirely different way than we've met them before. 
Right. Because of the question, you know, that a diaspora, which is a very large space, right? And a lot of times there are no conversations between the spaces. And as people of African descent, you know, mm-hmm. it's 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 generations. <laughs> you know? Yes, yes. And and mm-hmm. and how can we how can we even understand each other? You know, in in all this right. time. But culturally, you know, things never die. You know, culturally, I mean, nothing dies anyway. You know, but performatively, yeah. you can like you can reach inside and find these these cultural uh, links and these these yeah. words. You know, that just translate as if you know it was just yesterday that we saw each other. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I love what you just said that culture never dies. I feel like that's been one central through line that we've been exploring in the piece. The fact that even though Black Christianity is not necessarily what African people back on the continent, what it's not what we you know knew. It's not. It's something that was brought to us and forced on us. But if you look at mm-hmm. Black Christianity today, there's still very strong cultural things that have survived within the ways that people worship. When I go to Black churches. I often feel like I'm back in the village in Nigeria sometimes with the ways that people sing, with the ways that people pray. It's not like other Christian churches that are white or that are not based in a black cultural tradition. Um, So I feel like that's one thing that we've been trying to explore in the piece is the ways that that culture has not died and the ways that we've kind of molded that culture to fit what we need in order to survive, which is some some kind of faith, some kind of belief in the beyond and also in each other um, by creating that kind of communal space. Um, so, yeah, I, I appreciate what you said with that, culture never dies. It's true. Um, and going back to your original question of how I uh, started working with Gabriel, Gabriel and I, we first met, oh, gosh, I think it's over ten, nah, 10 years ago now um, in college. Mm-hmm. We both went to Yale University together. He was one of my first friends that I made, and we've been basically performing together in different ways. We both started out in the theater. Now Gabe is doing more dance, and I've been doing theater as well as performance art. And our, the reason why we have that title that you saw, Mouthful, um, it's partly a reference to a piece that we did last year together, which was called Mouthful of Sea. And that was, in a way, a sort of precursor to what we're exploring in this piece. That piece particularly, um, in particular explored our relationships to slavery. Gabriel, as someone who's descended of slaves, and me as somebody who's an African, um, born in America, with an African mother who has uh, no slave descendants, but still has that relationship to slavery as it pertains to me living in the United States. Um, and so kind of exploring more deeply that relationship that you already mentioned between Africans and African-Americans and that history. Um, that was what we explored in that last piece, Mouthful of Sea. And so when we decided mm-hmm. to do this piece together about spirituality, we wanted to kind of have a reference to that last piece um, with the keeping the mouth in the title, but also thinking mm-hmm. about what it means to really speak your truth, what it means to speak your testimony, um, which often can be seen in a spiritual way, at least in a church context. And so hence the title, Mouthful mouthful of what mouthful of you know as i said our testimony a mouthful of you know what we want to say about um our relationships to to the church our relationships to our own spiritual practices um and so yeah it's kind of a reference to our last piece but also you know um the title for this piece um mm-hmm. yes and then there's something else to your question you're asking about did i, did I cover it all i think i did <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, Cherie, um, how how did you find out about uh, Dancing Diaspora at, at Counterpulse? And I was wondering if you could give, give the address of the venue, because I, I don't have it here right readily in front of me, for our audience so they can yeah. know where they're going to be going. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've been around for a little while <laughs> in the Bay, so <laughs> I've known many artists who have been performing diaspora and always just, 
really admired the artists that have done it, you know, and I was always like, wow, like, that would be a really amazing thing to be a part of, and I think, like, it hit my inbox somehow, like, a day before the application was due, um, I saw this call from Countercult to apply for performing diaspora, and I was like, oh, like, it seems like this is a great opportunity, I don't know, like, do I fit it? Because I had actually thought in my mind that um, the artists were more from cultural, like very cultural backgrounds of dance. And I, though, I do bring in um, different cultural forms as inspiration, especially with African Caribbean forms. I definitely consider myself a contemporary artist, and my Western dance training, per se, has really influenced my work, um, and especially within improvisation and choreography, so I wasn't sure if I fit it, but I read the description, and this year they're really looking at radical and inclusive and equitable ways to look at the diaspora, and I definitely consider myself a choreographer of the diaspora, so I went ahead and applied and was accepted, which I was really excited about, especially because, as you know, um, Ivory Dance has been self-produced pretty much for the last, like, seven <laughs> years, like, it's been me you know, finding a venue and producing and getting volunteers and hiring designers and just really putting on my own show. And this is the first time Irie Dance is really being produced by a theater with full technical support and marketing support. And that has just been amazing because it's really allowed me as a resident artist to focus on the work more. And mm -hmm. There's been administrative things I have to do, but I've really been able to focus more on the work and not so much the production of it. So I've just been really excited about that opportunity and as well as my dancers and then to have six shows, you know, that Counterpulse is putting on is really amazing. That's how I found it and I feel like it was fate and I feel really honored to be a performing diaspora residency artist, especially, um, you know, mm -hmm. being the artists I've admired that have been mentors and colleagues to me go through it as well. So the show is at Counterpulse. It's at 80 Turk Street. Mm -hmm. And it's right off the Powell Barch Station. So if you get off mm -hmm. on Powell, it's just like a block or two up. It's in the Tenderloin District at 80 Turk Street. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I think the two, um, you know, the two well, not companies. I don't know. Would you would you uh, characterize um, your, yourself um, as a company? <laughs> yeah, that's a good um, question. Right now, it's just a collaborative partnership. Um, but one day, okay. we'd love to be a company. We'll see. Keep you t keep in, uh, keep you updated on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the three three of you all um, that are that are you know sort of uh, married in this particular iteration of performing diaspora. It's just it's just such a wonderful. Um, uh, mm -hmm collaborative program because um because Irie, you know, dance company, I mean, this is what you do, right? And mm -hmm. and it sounds as if, you know, your relationship, um, Ms. Crouch with um you know, with Gabriel mm -hmm. Christian, you know, and, and just, mm -hmm. you know, knowing each other, you know, for mm -hmm. a long time mm -hmm. and, and then this the second iteration of Mouthful, you know, Mouthful of Seeds yeah. and then Mouthful, this new Mouthful and then inviting mm -hmm. in, you know, these, these other hallelujah people, right? It's like, oh, my God, yes. this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah. okay, you need to do, like, a separate 
performance piece where you do both parts, and maybe you might yeah. have a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that definitely yeah. could be in the works. Yeah, there's definitely connective threads between um, the first piece and the second piece. I think especially with the second piece, our question there was kind of like, you know, what happens after surviving the trauma of slavery? What happened next? How did we survive? Mm-hmm. And as I said, one of those ways was faith, and that was part of the reason we chose to explore that for the performing diaspora residency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. and I think it's really, and my next guests are, are joining me shortly, but I think it's just mm-hmm. really um, uh, the synergy of the moment, you know, for this pre- presenting organization and also this organization that um, sort of supports new work, um, you know, in mm-hmm. the development, you know, counterpost for it to, to do this during, um, you know, 2019 because, you know, we've got, you know, the um, – um, the whole looking at um, the 400 years of African-American yes. history, mm-hmm. you know, 1619 mm-hmm. to 2019. And it's even longer yep. on the West Coast because it goes back to 15-something, 1520-something, wow. when 300 Africans were, were brought here to Baja, California. I think wow. it was Baja, but wow. it was here. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's even. And then, and, then, and then enslavement ending after 16. Um, I mean, 1865, it continued for a longer period in California. Mm-hmm. It wasn't over, according to um, mm-hmm. Delilah Beasley, in slavery in California until, like, 1872. Um, wow. So it, it was even longer here. But let's just go with the narrative around, you know, around the original, the 13 original colonies and Africans coming into what is now Hampton, Virginia, you know, into, um, you know, what's known as Fort Monroe National Monument, um, you know. So, but the 1619, 2019, just the whole query around, you know, the African diaspora's impact on this, this particular land, you know, the United yeah. States, and you all to be doing this work, it's just like, yeah, and it's December, so it's like, and people going back to Ghana, you know, for the 400 years of return, and, and here you are, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, this is so awesome. So it's just... It's just, you know, so the synergy is just, like, awesome and that that you all are doing what you're doing and the whole idea mm-hmm. of looking at, you know, sort of the spiritual through line that connects us to each other, irregardless mm-hmm. of time, right? Like, we never yes. left Africa insofar as a spirit. We, we're always yes. still African, no matter where we are, mm-hmm. Caribbean, mm-hmm. Europe, mm-hmm. America, North America, South America, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In other places, mm-hmm. you know, India, you know, we're everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So congratulations to both of you, all of you. Um, you know, tell Gabriel congratulations, too. I know he was too busy. <laughs> he was busy at this time. <laughs> and yeah. I'm so yeah. looking forward to um, to seeing the work. Oh, my gosh. Sherry, I, I always miss your work. Um, Sheree, I always miss your work. And so yeah. this time I'm not going to miss it. I'm so happy. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah, <laughs> we look forward to seeing you there. Oh yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to coming, and hopefully I can come more than once. Because <laughs> yeah, it's not often you. that I get to see your work, uh, Cherie, um, and 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 then to see you know your work, uh, Miss Crouch. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm doing your your last name because she boys it. She boys it. She she boys it. She boys it. She boys it. Yes. It's so pretty. Yeah. Yes. I just have to Thank slow down to see it right. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No worries. She boys it. <laughs> cool. 
All righty. Okay. Um, anything, any, any closing um, announcements? Um, let's see. Why don't you give give the uh, the website one more time for our audience, just in case they, yeah. they got sort of, they didn't write it down. Just make sure they yeah, get their tickets. Yeah, please feel free to. Yeah, Sharif, sure, you can give the website. I have one more little quick thing I'll say about the dates. So. Uh, I think it's Counterpulse Performing Diaspora 2019. And, mm-hmm. again, the show is December 5th through 7th and 12th through 14th, 7.45 p.m. Thursdays mm-hmm. are pay what you can. And, yeah, we really hope you'll come out and join us. Yeah. Yeah, and I just wanted to add really quick that um, on December 6th, we're going to be having ASL interpretation for anybody in mm-hmm. the deaf community who'd like to come, and it'll be interpreted by Kat Ridley. And on the 12th, we're going to have oh. audio description, which is a service for blind and visually impaired folks so that they can come experience the performance and have someone describe what's happening on stage so they know what's going on. And that will be described by Europa Grace of Gravity Access Services on the 12th. Um, yeah, and so on the 12th, there's audio description for blind folks. On the 6th, there's ASL interpretation for deaf folks, just so everyone knows. Oh, super. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. It's really great, you know, when when uh, work is, is made accessible to people who mm-hmm. uh, who see differently. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you again. Congratulations, and I look forward to seeing you all at CounterPost. Thank, thank you, you so Andra. much, Wanda. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. Bye. Bye bye. Good morning. Good morning. Uh is this um I've got um <laughs> got a few more bios than I have people in the studio. So so tell me who's with me presently. Well, this is Doctor J, Doctor Jackson. How are you? Oh Andrew? wow. Okay. Oh, hey. How are you, Dr. Jackson? <laughs> and who else is in the studio? One other person is in the studio. Oh. Press I would one, think it so. would be Barbara. Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, but the person's not saying anything. Um, hmm. Okay. Well, maybe she will be joining us Um but I'm really happy that that you're in the studio, um, um, uh, Doctor. Um, I didn't know that your name was Paul Tony Jackson. <laughs> I didn't know it, about it, the Paul part. It is. Like, oh. It is. Like, like I always <laughs> say, only the uh, only the IRS and the banks call me Paul, but they're, you know everybody else calls me Tony or Heru, yeah. you know, brother Heru. So, but oh. I'm pleased to. To, to be here with you uh, once again uh, and <laughs> mm-hmm. on this topic. Yeah, yeah. You are a clinical psychologist, activist, and author. Uh, your experience includes graduate and undergraduate instruction. You currently serve as president of the Bay Area chapter of the Association of Black Psychologists, or ABSI as it's known, um, as co-clinical yes. director of Prana Mind Center, which is really beautiful, folks. Oh, my God, you need to give the website. Um, Executive Director of Therapists in Residence Program, and you serve on the boards of the Love Not Blood campaign. Oh, seriously? Oh, wow, with Uncle Bobby and, and Sister Beatrice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just we, yeah. we did the slave uh, rebellion reenactment together in, uh, uh, in Louisiana um, last month. November eighth and ninth. Oh. Um yeah, that oh, was really wow. awesome. Yeah. 
And uh, you're also on the board of the African American Health and Wellness Committee for Alameda County. And I think that particular committee is hosting uh, this 2019 conference that we're going to be talking about, um, The Souls of Black Folks Reclaiming Our Humanity from Racialized Trauma, Healing from 400 Years of Enslavement, 1619 to 2019. And um, there's a special guest uh, speaker, Dr. Kenneth Hardy. There are workshops. There's yes. food, soul food, breakfast and lunch that's really healthy. And it's going to be Tuesday, Dr. December 10th from 830 to 5 at the Hilton Oakland Airport, 1 Hagenberger Road in Oakland. And I think, I don't know, hopefully there's still tickets. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah. it's, it's full at, at this moment. You know, we know that mm-hmm. people uh, still are very interested in attending. Um, but uh, it was it was full to capacity within a few weeks. So we really <laughs> need a bigger venue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And somebody else, someone else just joined us, Dr. J. Um, um, who else is on the air uh, with us? Pastor Horatio Jones. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Pastor Jones. All right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was, on, I was um, on earlier, but 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 I dropped. I don't know what happened. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so should I? Um, Introduce uh, Pastor Jones, um, Dr. J, or do you want to finish your thought because you were saying something? Well, I was just saying that it's fantastic that there's this level of interest. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, because you would think at a hotel that you'd be have unlimited capacity for an audience, but I guess not. You have you need a stadium for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, um, Pastor Horatio S. Jones, uh, MDiv, um, and are you um, are you the chair of the conference? Because it says chair. No, I'm the chair of the committee, the steering committee. Oh, the committee. Okay, okay. And um, you uh, were born on June 13th, um, 1961, in Oceanside, California. Uh, you're the fourth of six children. And you're the only sibling born outside of St. Louis, Missouri. You were reared in St. Louis until the age of 14 when your family relocated to Los Angeles. Um, You personally relocated to San Jose to live with relatives at the age of 16. And you reached an impasse with your life as the lure of the streets, drugs, and crime were threatening to abort its purpose. Avoiding the school-to-prison pipeline, you graduated from Mount Pleasant High School in San Jose. Um, and you're currently completing studies towards a Master's of Divinity, but it says right here you have the MDiv. Um, is this correct? Which one is correct? <laughs> working toward. From the go- you're working toward? Okay. Um, four more. Uh, four more. Yes. What did you say? I didn't, I didn't catch it. I have four classes to finish. Oh, so you're almost there. Yeah, and you're at oh. the Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary in Mill Valley, yes. California. And um you are married to Florence V. Jones, formerly Florence V. White, and you have five children, four sons, one daughter, and a precious granddaughter. Um and we now have a grandson too. Oh my <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. And you Thank are you. um let's see, you um 
established the Tri-Cities Community Development Center um, in 1997 to the present to provide services, programs, and resources for the least of the least of our society. And you're currently, uh, as president CEO, you manage reentry services for ex-offenders. Uh, you do the case management, job readiness, employment, mentoring, and life coaching. Um, also mental health training and advocacy for African-American community and academic development for children struggling to excel in the classroom. Uh, you are actively engaged in illuminating stigma and discrimination related to living with mental health challenges. Uh, you co-develop mental health-friendly communities, a community-defined def uh, training program designed to provide training and technical assistance for African-American faith, spiritual communities seeking to become compassionate communities of faith. Um, and you currently serve as chairperson of the Alameda County African-American Steering Committee for Health and Wellness. And uh, as a faith leader, you believe that work of, the work of the black church historically and contemporarily has served as the foundation for hope, change, and empowerment for African-American community. And we have one more person. Oh, no, I think that might be, yeah, Dr. J, you dropped and now you're back. Yes, I'm, I'm back now. Thank you. Uh, okay, cool. Oh, no problem. All righty, so now let's talk about this conference that has no more space. Uh, are you going to be live streaming or something? <laughs> Some of the uh, maybe the plenary. <laughs> yeah, currently I don't think we have uh, we have the capacity or the plans to do you know live streaming other than individuals you know will do probably do their own Facebook and so on. You're 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 going in and out. Um, I I can't I I lost I, oh. I can't hear you really well. One second. Is that? Is that better? Mm, not really. Okay. Uh, Dr. J, can you put your phone on, on mute? Uh, let me let me try that. Can you hear me okay now, Wanda? Yeah, I hear you better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't know what you got. Interferences, but as of now, we don't have any uh, plans for streaming um, okay. the conference. And, uh, and we were pleasantly surprised when, when the conference filled up to put them. Actually, we have to extend the capacity. Are you there? Yeah, I mean, I'm listening. It's just you hear that that weird sound. Um, sounds like yeah, that sounds like windshield wipers. Yeah, oh, you know what? Oh. Yeah, those are my windshield oh. wipers, and I'm yeah. talking oh, okay. with you well, on mute, the streets of your... San Francisco. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, you could you could just mute it um, while um, oh somebody else did you just drop? Um, no, that was that was me. I switched phones to get better reception. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah, that's a lot better reception. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you said you were pleasantly surprised when um, when when it when the response was what it what it was. Oh yes, it was distributed um, across counties and interagencies, uh, behavioral health care, and then and then other community-based organizations. And I think, if I recall it right, 
Dr. Jackson, I think we had over 200 registrants within a couple of days. Wow. Yes. Wow. <laughs> 200, that's amazing. Wow, yes. that's great. Yes, and I think we're now at about, I think, 450. Really? Oh, my yeah, God. we're at capacity. Yeah. Oh, that's, we even that's have, significant. Uh, we even have wow. members trying to trying to join who who can't because it's it's full. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I noticed that you know there are different um, themes: uh, freedom, African American enslave. I mean, American enslavement, Jim Crow, mass incarceration, and healing. Um, and you're gonna basically it looks like you're gonna start in 1619. You know, in um, in Virginia um, at at um, Fort Comfort, uh, you know, what was then you know old Fort Comfort, you know, which is now the um, uh, the national um, uh, see the national um, see Fort Monroe National Monument, and and then come forward to today. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the workshops and your your keynote speaker and, and how you're going to move these 450 people, you know, through the day. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jackson, you want to start? Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll be brief and, and Pastor Jones, I think you can speak more to the, um, to the uh, collective nature of the, uh, of the conference, including all the workshops. I know we have several panels, that are going to address uh, mental health in black communities uh, as well as uh, models uh, of support that tend to work for Americans of African ancestry. Um, so I expect, you know, it'll run the gamut. It'll be a collaborative uh, discussion between the audience uh, and the various panels. But there are... There are um, great um, works that that folks are doing, uh, both in private practice as well as a few agencies um, that model uh, African-centered approaches or integrate those approaches quite well. Um, And we're going to be talking about some of those approaches uh, and also where uh, where these services need to go if they're going to be truly helpful, because we still uh, are at a crisis when it comes to uh, black mental health, especially in Alameda County. Oh, and I, I'll add to that that it includes SMI. I mean, uh, we really, really need to. Uh, change um, the trajectory of the services we offer if we're going to make it dense uh, and move towards uh, wellness uh, in uh, in the uh, African American community. You know, also if you uh, I know your listeners aren't able to view the um, the flyer real time, but uh, a lot of effort. Uh, and time and, and discussion went into the development of of that timeline to capture the um, the full intent uh, of the conference. Um, and for us, it's our first conference, and you'll notice it's an annual uh, conference that we've really been 
uh, pushing toward and stressing the need for uh, almost since our inception as a committee. And and you'll notice on the timeline that it, the, the first image, it, it focuses on freedom. And this is pre-enslavement of Africans. <clears throat> and so, and, and it's, that, it's that common spirit of freedom that we celebrate as we focus on healing and resiliency within our community that has spanned and overcome and persevered through the atrocities of the, of the enslavement of our ancestors. Through, and, and so with the timeline and, and the way the conference has been developed and designed from the beginning to the end, it takes us through that really a diaspora that continues even to this day from freedom in Africa through the uh, Middle Passage and enslavement through uh, the Emancipation uh, Proclamation, through Dr. King and the Civil Rights era, uh, up and through the mass incarceration of the war on drugs, and uh, through up until you know the inauguration of President Barack Obama and the current challenges that we face today. And, and we look back and we, we celebrate, we, we recognize and we acknowledge the atrocities and the trauma that has challenged our humanity. Uh, and with that, we celebrate how we have not only survived, but that we are thriving as a people. Absolutely. Just to add to that, Pastor Joe, um, there are resiliency factors that have been responsible for our thriving, surviving and thriving in some of the worst circumstances in human history. And it is those um, factors, those resiliency factors, those ways of being and behaving um, that uh, we advocate be incorporated uh, in uh, any therapeutic intervention uh, having to do with uh, Americans of African ancestry. It becomes very important to respect uh, those uh, those aspects of our culture that uh, have been responsible uh, for uh, our our level of, of wellness and being able to, uh, for example, be the, the folks who set the moral compass in this country um, during the civil rights area era, for example, as well as uh, other other uh, uh, points in time throughout this country, regardless of what we have been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering, um, could you give us um, a couple of more, um, I don't know if the resiliency factors are iterated in so far as like 20, 30, <laughs> 1, 2, um, but I wonder if you could give us some more of those resiliency factors and and maybe point our audience to places where they could maybe f- learn more about that. And uh, and then the second part of that question um, is uh, around around the plenaries and the panel discussions. Will this be one of the topics? Yes, uh, I'm leading a, uh, a session, a work a workshop a session on. Uh, the title of it is A Bridge Over Troubled Waters, and I wish I had uh, um, 
I had the opportunity you, you kinda, to join. You kind of broke you broke up before, before we could hear all of the title. So say it again. <laughs> okay. The title of it is A Bridge Over Troubled Waters, The Spiritual okay. Journey of African Americans from Slave Ships Through the uh, White House. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had been a, uh, been able to join you on your, uh, your uh, interview of your previous guests. I caught the tail end of it, and uh, and it's I think it's it's it probably is somewhat similar to what um, uh, my workshop focuses on. One of the resiliency factors, which is a a major one, common within the African American community, and that's our faith and our spirituality. And, hey, you, you, um, um, you're, 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 you're coming in and out, so we missed the beginning of, of that, of your, what you just said. Okay, the so major. the, uh, the, the, the mm-hmm. conference, you caught the conference title, correct? Did that come through? Yes, exactly. A Bridge Over Troubled Waters. A Bridge Waters, Over Troubled then... Waters, The Spiritual Journey of African Americans from Slave Ships to the White House. Are you still oh, there? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm here, it's just... You're um you're breaking up before you Hello. Yeah, I can hear you. Mhm. Yeah, you said something yeah. about the slave ship to the White House. Uh oh. Oh shoot. <laughs> oh, he just dropped. Um, you still with us, Doctor J? Hello. Uh oh. Did everybody drop? <laughs> oh no. Oh, now nobody's in the studio. Oh, heck. Well, we will. Um, I know they're going to call me back and hear Dr. I'm okay. back. All righty. Good. I'm, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm on my land uh, phone. Yeah, I'm on my land yeah. phone. I guess it's just a storm that's going Possibly. on. Is it, is it raining outside today? I, I haven't. Yes. Since I oh, yes. Oh, there's, there's, oh, yes. Where oh, I'm at is raining. It's, it's coming it's down. It's the weather. Okay, Dr. J, super. Okay, I'm glad you're both back. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, um, okay. I, I am back, and, and Pastor Jones, I, I am back, but, but only to apologize to your audience because I have to teach a 10 o'clock class. Um, oh, And, and I, the technology, <laughs> technology demons have been uh, really, uh, really, uh, you know, challenging us this morning. So I know that the rest of the interview, you're in good hands with Pastor Jones. Uh, <laughs> I mean, um, you, he, he knows what there is to know about the conference, about the committee, uh, and everything else. Um, so uh, I'm going to leave you as I found you. Again, apologize for having to leave early. Um, no and just want to encourage folks to look into the work of the steering committee uh, because we are working for you. We're working for the community. Um, so I appreciate you, uh, Wanda, and, and, and uh, all you do. Um, and I can go on and on about what you do, but I really appreciate you and your work in the community. Oh, you're welcome. Well, have a good class. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, now. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, you take Bye. <laughs> Peace. Okay, Pastor Jones, um, that's uh, yes. Pick up where we, you're sounding really nice and strong and clear. <laughs> okay, excellent. <laughs> yeah, so why don't we start all over again um, with, um, uh, you know, the name of the uh, the workshop, A Bridge Over Troubled Waters, and, yeah. Yes, um, so the, the name of the workshop, because we were discussing uh, risk factors, and exactly. uh, the name of the workshop, yes, and the name of the workshop uh, that I'm leading 
is entitled uh, A Bridge Over Troubled Waters, The Spiritual Journey of African Americans from Slave Ships to the White House. And, mm-hmm. and, during, and so what we focus on, it, it, oftentimes in African American history, what is lost, you know, first of all, when it's taught within our schools, you know, it's, it's taught from a completely biased perspective and uh, without, and then even from a documentaries and a lot of the information that's out there really doesn't delve into the depth, uh, the, the depth and the width of the roots of faith within the African-American community. And so that's what this workshop focuses on because all roles within generally within the African-American community tend to intersect within uh, the context of the, uh, of the faith community in general, the church in particular. And so um, we, we break down the workshop into um, four, three different uh, areas or, or, or periods of time. One is from slave ships to uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, and then from the Emancipation Proclamation to the assassination of Dr. King, and that covers Jim Crow, civil rights era. Uh, and then we go from the assassination of Dr. King to the uh, inauguration of President uh, Barack Obama, and then what other uh, challenges that we're facing today. And what we, two, two areas that we focus on, one is, is how slavery and racism is in the DNA of American culture. Because oftentimes, even within the African-American community, but more so in, in larger community, when you begin to speak of slavery, the sentiment is, when are we going to get over it? When are we going to move beyond it? And, and the, the masses fail to understand and recognize how slavery is literally in the DNA, culturally, economically, educational system, uh, criminal justice system. It is in the DNA of this country, and it just manifests itself, the symptoms, in di- it, it shows itself in different garments. But when you look and you trace, you see that the, the issues that we're struggling with or dealing with even to this day that extend beyond our community politically and, and uh, socially has a common thread that goes all the way back through slavery. And then as we look at that common thread, how has faith, in, in one instance, from a, from a national perspective, uh, Christianity or faith played a role in the legitimization and the establishment of slavery from the Middle Passage all the way up through to today. But then also we see that a resiliency and a message of hope and strength also emerged from what I call religious rhetoric. Uh, from the plantations through civil rights era through you know where we are today and so the workshop it's a it's a, about an hour workshop and it's an overview of a full day training that um, that we have through uh, mental health friendly uh, communities hmm. nice wow um, do you know when um, your your workshop is going to take place Our first or overview, I should say Yes, our first workshops are begin in the morning. We have a set of workshops in the morning, and then we have uh, uh, a set in the afternoon. So um, my workshop begins in the morning around, if I can recall, I don't, I'm looking from our agenda because it's still in, um, we're still editing it, but it's around 1030 in the morning. But again, the conference is full 
actually, it's, if it were possible, it would be beyond capacity <laughs> because we have yeah, so many right. that are trying to to get in. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Oh, wow, that's really awesome. So yours is um, in the morning. And how many how many workshops are, are going to be um, uh, offered um, in this day-long um, conference? And, um, and um, yeah, talk a little bit more about the kind of workshops that are being offered and, uh, and your panel discussions. And then tell us about, you know, your, your keynote speaker, Dr. Kenneth Hardy, and, and where he is in the program. Yes, uh, Dr. K- uh, Kenneth Harding, I don't know if you had received a um, um, a bio on Dr. Harding, but he's um, a, uh, you know, a doctor and a professor of family therapy at Drexel University in Philadelphia, and he is widely, um, he's also the founder of the Elkerberg Academy of Social uh, Justice. He is widely uh, held and regarded as a, a preeminent expert in the area of African-American trauma and uh, and oh. overcoming the challenges that we have faced. Uh, he's a practitioner uh, as well, and he's received uh, numerous honors, including the Distinguished uh, Contribution Marriage and Family Counseling Award, International Associate Marriage and Family Counselors, and also um, as a Distinguished con- Contributor to the Social Justice Award from the American Family Therapy uh, Academy. And uh, he also maintains a private practice. And so he brings to the table just and, and probably one of the um, one of the reasons why we've had an overwhelming uh, response not only from mm-hmm. community individuals but also practitioners and providers within our community is because of the wealth of knowledge and expertise that he brings uh, to the table and so he's our morning keynote speaker okay what what time is he speaking uh that's, I'm looking for our agenda. Now, he's scheduled to speak around 11 o'clock. Okay. Around 11 o'clock. Oh, wow. Awesome. Had you ever heard of Dr. Uh, Harding before? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, uh-uh. okay. No, no, and, and, and I wasn't sent any information about him. I just got information about, you know, the, you know, those of you who are planning um, mm-hmm. the uh um, you know this this con- we're plan planning this conference and um, and and Dorithia who couldn't join us because um, there was a mix up on the dates so today she wasn't oh, available she okay. said oh you can't you can't miss uh, Doctor Harding right. and I'm like oh because I told her <laughs> that I I'm not going to be able to come for some of the uh, the conference because I'm giving a final that um, that morning and. Uh, and so, and it's, I'm going to miss him because it's in that time frame. So I'm like, oh, yeah, 10 to 12 on, on Tuesday <laughs> is the final mm. that I'm giving. So it's like, oh, shoot, um, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to hear Now, where do you right. teach? College of Alameda. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and I find this next week is finals week. I'm like, oh, I was hoping he would be in the afternoon. I was like, oh, darn, so no, I'm not going to be able to see him. Well, shoot. Well, it sounds like it's going to be awesome, and he seems perfect, um, you know, thematically for this particular conference since um, mm-hmm. since that is a theme, 
you know, uh, racialized trauma. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, and we, we're also so, having – go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, I was going to – go ahead. I, I had asked you a multi-level question, so go ahead and finish answering it. <laughs> uh, okay, no problem. Yeah, and also we're having uh, workshops um, that, that focuses on our young people. Uh, transition age youth, and so we have oh, some good. panelists that oh, are nice. yes, uh, or not panelists, but uh, workshop presenters that are going to focus on the particular challenges that our young people. We wanted to make sure, you know, in in, in the mental health community, particularly from a county's perspective, you have what's referred to as systems of care that cover from children to transition age youth to adults to seniors, and we wanted to make sure that we covered um, all particular demographic groups through our workshops for individuals who are working with African-Americans and, uh, and then consumers or family members who are, um, you know, within those particular uh, groups. And one of our um, goals as well, um, the challenges that we face within mental health and the African-American community is a lack of culturally responsive services that uh, address the unique needs and challenges of our community. And so, um, we want to address that by having uh, individuals who are both practitioners and then also uh, individuals that we refer to in the mental health community as consumers, consumers of the individuals who are receiving care, uh, to have an opportunity to address uh, providers and the, and, the, uh, and the such so that uh, we can expose them with, um, you know, approaches and strategies that, uh, and oftentimes community-defined strategies uh, that provide them and give them the tools that are needed to provide more culturally responsive services to our community. Oh, that's really great. That's really great. Um, and uh, that's that's great that you're going to have have that that uh, particular you know track because um, a lot mm-hmm. of times um, you know the transitional age youth. I I I don't know I I really I don't think I've always seen this particular age group being addressed, you know, as far as, mm-hmm. as services and needs. So that, that's really excellent, really excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything that will focus on, on, on girls and women? Not, not, spe- not specifically uh, to, to females or, you know, gender-specific. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but let me, let me give you an overview of the, uh, not an overview, but the, uh, mm-hmm. the conference agenda. Okay. Uh, so... Um, one of the uh, we, we always open up with our um, with our trainings and, and this particular is a conference with what we refer to as a libation and this this if you look at that timeline again the, the first part of it is freedom and so we always invoke within our trainings and with our events and with, within our meetings uh, uh, African culture and so we open the meeting up with uh, what we refer to as libations and that is invoking and inviting and asking permission of the ancestors for us to proceed. Uh, one of the uh, practices within African culture is that is the asking of the eldest person, whether it's a village, in this case it would be within our conference, the eldest person's permission for us to proceed. And then we have a, a ceremony called libations and drumming that, uh, that opens up our program. And, uh, uh, and then also we're going to have something called table talk where we'll be able to at, in our areas where wherever we're sitting we're able to have dialogue 
and then focus on racism as a public health issue. Now, one of the 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 um, because we're focusing on you know the name of our committee is <clears throat> excuse me the African American Steering Committee for Health and Wellness, and and we see racism as a health issue. Mm-hmm. And and once we, we see race not just as a social issue, but it is a health issue that affects the overall health, not only of our community, but also of our society. And so we're going to um, discuss it, uh, open up and, dis- and, uh, and have some discussion as it relates to that. And then our steering committee is going to, and I have, rev- I have some accurate times for you as well. And then at approximately 1045, the, uh, our steering committee is going to lead a, a panel discussion, and we will address the issues of disparities uh, and challenges that are faced um, generally and then specifically within the African-American mental health community within Alameda County. And we have various members of our steering committee who will be a, uh, a part of that. And then we also emphasizing, again, resiliency, and we have some self-care. We have an individual that's going to come and take us through some exercises of how to just take care of yourself, some wellness tools that you can use as you're dealing with stress and dealing with racism within your work environment, within your community, within your school system. And, um, uh, and then, yes, and then after that, we're going to have uh, an afternoon panel discussion that focuses on when justice, the, the, a provocative term that I think is very uh, 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 prevalent in our time today, and that is when justice is unjust. Hmm. When oh, justice uh-huh. is unjust. And, uh, hmm. and I, I failed to mention Dr. Uh, Kenneth Hardy, he speaks at 9.30, not 10.30. Oh, so he's going to speak. Yeah, he's at nine thirty, not ten thirty. Okay. Right okay. after we discuss racism as a public health issue, then that's when Dr. Harding comes up. Hardy comes up, and he addresses mm-hmm. from nine thirty to ten thirty. Okay. <clears throat> okay, and then after lunch, uh, we're going to have a uh, another panel discussion, discussion again with justice is unjust, uh, mm-hmm. and then um, and then we have breakout sessions. From 2:40, I, I spoke out of uh, out of time. The breakout sessions are at 2:40, uh, and uh, and workshops. Um, the topics are the one I mentioned that I'm leading, a bridge over troubled waters, and then workshop number two is a mindfulness one. Workshop leader is Janae Johnson. Workshop number three is compassionate fatigue, and uh, and the leader of that is Beverly Diane Kyer. And then we have a workshop for transition age youth. Uh, and then we have a third, a fifth uh, workshop, which focuses on the LGBTQ community, led by Bishop Yvette Flunder. And, um, oh, nice. Uh, uh, and so, uh, and then we also have uh, a um, spoken word, one of our, one of probably one of the most, from my perspective, and I'm probably biased, most talented and gifted young men uh, in the area of spoken word. And to give your audience an idea of, 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 of his, uh, and actually he's leading, participating in one of the panel discussions for transition age youth, he's a young man, if I recall it right, that didn't read, or they didn't believe that he could read until he was in about the third or fourth grade, and they mm-hmm. thought that he had a developmental issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, come to, um, and as they explored, and because of internal challenges, 
and issues that he was facing and challenges in school and so on, this young man, uh, once he discovered his purpose and his passion, uh, he's a graduate of, um, of a high school in, 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 in East Contra Costa County and then went on to graduate with honors from, uh, I believe it's Wesley College, that was featured um, with Denzel, Denzel Washington uh, in his movie. And he, su- he successfully competed and won against debaters. It was in the movie Great Debaters. He won against oh, okay. competitions against Yale, students at Yale, Harvard, and, uh, and is now working toward his master's degree. And so he's coming back to the Bay Area, and he's going to uh, uh, articulate from a young person's a transition age youth perspective uh, resiliency. And then we conclude with what's, table what's his talk. Name? His name is Benjamin Turner. Benjamin, Benjamin Turner. Turner. And then we conclude with what we call table talk and healing conversations. And, uh, and then what are our next steps? Where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to be really full. Sounds wonderful. Oh, it's, and, and we're also offering, although, again, because it's, 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 it's full, <laughs> we're also, we're also <laughs> offering um, uh, CEUs, uh, continuing education uh, units uh, for uh, individuals and, and let me just share with with the audience also the uh, the primary goal of the conference and uh, the purpose of the training is to provide attendees with an analysis of the connection between historical and ongoing trauma and the well-being of African Americans practical and culturally responsive trauma-informed outcome driven and community defined or best practices will be provided again in order to support healing in the African American community and, uh, and the re- reclamation of our humanity. And uh, one of the first, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've, you're familiar with the Willie Lynch letters, and yeah. w- one of the, one of the uh, primary purposes of the Willie Lynch letter was the, was the institutionalization and the dehumanization of Africans in, from two perspectives, within the African, the enslaved African community, and then also within the spirituality, the socialization, the economic systems of the, the, the enslavers and American society. And, uh, and one of the primary tactics was the dehumanization in the eyes of the captors and also in the eyes of the people or those who were enslaved, it, to see them as less than human. But it was because of that common thread of spirituality and... Um, within the African culture that could not be silenced and could not be beaten out of uh, the enslaved Africans, that humanization and seeing themselves as created and seeing themselves as people and seeing themselves as individuals is what has resoundingly continued throughout our community and what we celebrate again in this conference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be really awesome. I see why um, there was such a big response because, um, you know, um, racism is a, a public health issue. I remember when uh, one of the, uh, um, I don't, I think, I think it was a former um, head of um, uh, Alameda County Public Health um, Behavior and Public Health um, Department, uh, African American physician. Um, he he said that, um, or director said that, 
and um and it still remains constant unfortunately you know that um you know and even more so now that you know racism is actually embodied <laughs> uh you know in in the higher offices you know of this this nation in you know highest political offices of this nation and so um yeah it's uh it's really, really see, great, see, you know, that, that you know, there are tools that people are going to get to be able to right. um, be able to help mitigate this and, and keep our people healthy despite all of this, you know, toxins in, in, the, in the environment, you know, both psychological, spiritual, and educational and political. Yes, cause, cause we, <laughs> absolutely, because in, in every, when, you, when you think of our institutions mm-hmm. in America, educational, Political, economic, um, criminal justice system—all mm-hmm. of them, their framework and paradigms were sh- and policies were shaped. And and when we when we cover you know uh, slavery and so on, you can clearly look back. Let me give you an example. Back in. Um, uh, when, when when President Obama, when he made his uh, when he was making his um, his first speech to Congress, and an individual for the first time ever, what you call you call that address the uh, State of the Union for mm-hmm. the and so in the historic since we've been recording it, or it has never happened before. But while he's speaking, an individual from the crowd, a politician. Hmm. screams out and says, you lie. And, and, and because he was speaking, uh, the president was at the time, it was silent. And so it, it just reverberated in the room. And with hmm. dignity, uh, President Obama continued on. That practice comes from two things, what's called, you know, everyone knows about Jim Crow, but not about Jim Crow etiquette. Mm. And Jim Crow etiquette was that which permeated throughout the South and also infected the North, which uh, conveyed a message that no matter how successful a black man is, he is always subservient to his white counterpart. And there were literal uh, um, uh, practices that were inculcated within the culture that no matter how educated you were, you were still a boy. And and we see we saw it so blatantly clear in that instance. And then there was an experiment that was done and we're we're focusing in this conference on trauma to, on trauma and how trauma affects brain development and, and affects the inner culture and the community. There mm-hmm. was an experiment that was done with mice. I go over this in my workshop. That was done with mice. To, to, to test the effect of trauma on the brain. And they had some, some mice, and they exposed them to, uh, uh, to the sweet smell of cherry almonds, pleasing smell of cherry almonds. When they smelt it, when they released the aroma and the mice smelt it, they shocked them. They did that for a certain period of time. Then they stopped shocking them but they still exposed them to the smell. When the mice mm-hmm. smelt the cherry blossom, they shook, mm-hmm. even though they weren't shocked. Mm-hmm. Those mice then had pups. They then exposed the pups to the smell. And what do you think happened they to the trembled. pups? They trembled. They trembled. Yeah. Then those mm-hmm. pups 
became mice. They had pups. Mm -hmm. They exposed them to the same smell. Mm-hmm. And they shook. They trembled. Yes, yeah, so it's epigenetic. Mm-hmm. Yep, how from down three generations. Mm-hmm. Slavery ended institutionally, and I'm putting quote signs up, at the <laughs> passage of the Civil Rights Act. That's 1964, 65, the Voters' mm-hmm. Rights Act, and the... In, because Jim Crow reinstitutionalized slavery from 1877 all the way through 1964. So you had 200, 300 years. 19, I was born in 1961. So 1964, 65 is when on paper. And we're still dealing. And so we're but one generation. We're within my generation. Of that, of 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 the of the rod being re- no, the rod hasn't been removed, and Doctor DeGroote speaks of post-traumatic slave uh, syndrome, and so it's not post because it continues to this day. Mm-hmm. Right. How trauma is is in, is infecting and affecting our and has been for four hundred years, and that's why this particular conference we have <clears throat> we have some uh, conference goals and I'll. Uh, I'll, I'll end with this. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three goals that that we intend for our participants uh, to walk away with. One is to assess the connection between historical and ongoing daily trauma and the challenges faced by Africans, uh, African Americans in America today. We want them to be able to describe three culturally appropriate best practices to use within our community and to identify three historical trauma-related challenges that still affect African Americans today. And then how can you apply that and use that to transform your care to those or, or, or your treatment to those who are within your care? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are great. Those are great goals. Oh wow, this is going to be so awesome. So maybe, um, so which, um, which uh, conference is this for uh, for this working group? Um, do you do this annually, so people can well, get this on is the our list first, early? This, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is our first uh, our first one, and so it will be okay. annually. Okay. Um, and so we have to see when. Um, Annually, because it's best to have it a certain day or a certain week of the month. We don't know if it's going to be during Black History Month or July is Minority uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. So in June, we have um, uh, Juneteenth festivals. And so we will um, we have our planning retreat coming up in a, in a few months. And so then we'll establish our dates and get the dates out far in advance. But the challenge because we, we, what is this month? This is December, so I think we sent our, no, our notices out around October, mm-hmm. sometime in October. But within two days, it was full. So the challenge right. for us now is getting a venue. One, because we want it highly interactive, because it's not just mm-hmm. informative. We want it transformative. And, right. and the larger it is, the less transformative, because it doesn't allow for interaction. 
and dissemination of information. And that's why we have, you know, in the morning and in the evening, we have healing talks and discussions around tables. So, so, um, so the, the timing isn't as much, or, or the advance notice isn't as, as much the challenge. It's from what we've experienced here, it's getting a venue. And we were going to, um, originally we were targeting the convention center, but it couldn't accommodate our date. Right. Yeah. But I'm just thinking um, maybe um, maybe there might be a way to offer it more than once a year um, mm-hmm. so then people don't feel that they have to go to all of them, you know. So then and you could even, um, if if you know the dates in advance, like, okay, we're going to do it quarterly. So then you mm-hmm. know all the dates and people you can make so that people who aren't able to participate so that, you know, it's sort of spread out, and and if you could, if you could do the same thing every time, then people won't feel that they're missing out something, uh, on something. Um, mm-hmm. That might make it so that you know you could accommodate, um, you know, more people, perhaps, um, mm-hmm. or or if you had a um, a uh, an online component to it, so that people right, could participate. Mhm. Yeah. You know, as you know, sort of like exactly like video streaming. You know, mm-hmm. so that people who are not here, because people probably would want to participate that aren't physically in the Bay Area, if they if it were possible. Correct. And then and then maybe at these satellite places, it could be intimate in that it wouldn't just be individuals that are, are tuning in, it would be like an institution mm-hmm. where they would be doing right. something maybe similar. They'd be having their table talks or whatever, but it would be a, a lot smaller um, or right. more intimate. So anyway, um, yeah, so I'm sure you'll probably cover all that in your um, in your retreat. But I wanted to ask you um, um, in closing if uh, I just um, I'm thinking about not uh, participating in language that is um, uh, – demeaning to people of African descent um, and, you know, because on a, like you were talking about, you know, what happened to the mice and that, and that beautiful, that, that smell, you know, that mm. ended up being a trap, <laughs> an entrapment that, um, mm-hmm. of, of pain. I was thinking about the term minority um, and, and the term white supremacy and the term mm-hmm. entitlement. And and not participating, like when people say that, you know, white, it's like no, no, there's no such thing as white supremacy, and 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 you know, and and the minority thing, and then there were a couple of others, um, but I was just thinking about like stopping the conversation and not and saying, you know, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to, we're not gonna give you <laughs> supremacy, right? Because when you say that, it's it's doing something. If this person and all of its evil, or this particular system, and all of its evil is white supremacy. Why would I say it's supreme? Right. I don't know. If, did I say that? No, no. I'm just asking the question because of. Oh, what, oh, oh. Um, got you. Oh, no, I'm okay, just asking you. the question. No, no. You didn't say it. At oh, all. Okay. No, I'm just asking because I was okay. thinking about the Minority Awareness Month. I forgot the month you mentioned, and then when you said Minority something month, I'm like, oh. Really? I didn't even know there was a month <laughs> minority mental health. I'm like, well, we know because minorities are the minority. We're the majority. Um, and and even you know, no, hoping uh, around uh, first world, I, first world, I, third nation kind of stuff. You know, all that, all that language. 
<laughs> well, I don't know if I say it minority, but July is African American Mental Health Awareness Month. So I don't think I don't know if I say it minority. That's a broad term, but July is African American Mental Health Awareness Month. But from a um, yeah, but from a uh, usually I do cultural responsive training in in mm-hmm. in different um, settings. Uh, across, I've done it across the state, and usually, it's uh, um, it's not in an audience where it's predominantly African Americans. It's usually in an in a in an audience where it may be because if I'm doing training for, uh, I've done training for foster care uh, systems, health and human, uh, from from all from the state of California down, you know, to uh, major counties within California, and uh, and when addressing these counties, one of the, from my perspective, it's important to address head-on um, um, the vestiges of racism and slavery as it relates to how those systems of cares have been designed, not for the promotion and the health and well-being of African Americans, but in its its systems, in its processes it has been designed to oppress and to suppress. And so uh, I hear what you're saying in reference to when you say white supremacy. When you say white supremacy without dismantling the, the fallacy of it, mm-hmm. it allows individuals who are living in that, with that disposition, whether they are aware of it or not, you give them a safe road, you give them a safe journey. And so oftentimes, if, if I'm addressing entitlement or if I'm addressing white supremacy, this is just me personally, I address it from the perspective of dismantling it. But you have to see it because these systems were designed to promote white supremacy, mm-hmm. the fallacy of it, and like, like white only, um, what do you call it, white only uh, water fountain, the black uh, only water fountain. There is a civil rights museum in Birmingham, uh, right across the street from the 16th Street Baptist Church where the bombing was. And uh-huh. I was back there, and and uh, I'm creating a display on that. And 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 the ruling that overturned separate but equal uh, in in the in the affirming uh, ruling of not uh, you know when they they write out their. Uh, their uh, judgment, and he what he said was that inherently, when you have white only or it's inherently discriminatory. And then when you see the images of a of a uh, water fountain that was white only, they had the sign over it that was well maintained, well cared for, pristine. And then you had the one that said black only, and then you saw the condition of it. What it inherently, when the black child would see the white only one within there and I'll give you an example of this. Inherently what he's taught what his brain processes, that's superior. Mm-hmm. I'm inferior. And there was a an uh, there was a uh, a study done um I think A B C News covered it as well, but it was with young girl young it's the first experiment was with young African American girls and dolls. Are you familiar with that? Oh, right. Yes I am. Mm-hmm. Are you Okay. Yes. And right. And so I don't know if you, your audience. And the I'm girls, sure. the girls chose the uh, 
the girls chose the white doll as the prettiest doll. Um, right, and the dolls were mm-hmm. identical. And then even the, the in some certain instances, the young girls would, when they would look at the dolls, they would say, this doll looks sneaky, or this, the eyes were exactly the same. Everything was, it was because of the images that they were seeing and the messages that were being conveyed through television and radio and, and all of that. They did that same experiment about 20 years later with a diverse group of kids, boys, girls, African-Americans, white kids, and so on. The conclusion was exactly the same. And this one was really? done, I think, in the 80s. Oh, yeah. It was done in the 80s yeah. and 90s. They all preferred. And then with the young black girls, when they were, they were saying about the, the black dolls, they disassociated themselves cognitively from the dolls until one question was asked. And they, chose, they preferred the white doll because the black doll was dirty and things like that. And then they asked them the question, and they zeroed the camera on their face. They said, which doll do you identify with? And then that's when it lit their their eyes, and the whole countenance changed. They identified with the black doll. So it, it mm. showed how they subliminally viewed themselves without knowing it because of the mm. white supremacist images that are continuing to be. So when you deal, and, 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 and so the vestiges of it today are school voucher systems. The vestiges of it today is no child left behind. The vestiges of it today, because it pulls money, that's a whole other topic, but it pulls money away from urban schools. So when you go to those schools, the landscaping, the books, the, and then you go to the schools where the tax dollars are and the vouchers are, it conveys a different message that's inculcated within our children. And that's that racialized trauma that continues to this day. Why is it, you see you got me on a soapbox now, why is it <laughs> that 87% of the drug use in America is in the suburbs, but 90% of the arrests are in the urban areas? Hmm. Which results in mass incarceration. It's the enforcement and the statistics are maintained at the urban level and not the suburban level. That's racialized trauma that continues. So in, in Alameda County, if you're 11% of the population, why are you 45% of the prison population or the jail population? That's impossible because of how it's enforced. Mm-hmm. So, so I said all that to say that's, that is the end goal of a fallacious uh, argument or or teaching or uh, however you, you cloak it, of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And, and in my yeah. trainings, I dismantle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, my daughter brought it to my attention. I was just, she was talking about it last week, and she mm-hmm. says that um, when she's with... Um, her older son, um, and they have like a little play group, and uh, he's three. And this other parent, uh, he has uh, he has two children. One is older than than my grandson, and one is is um, is his age, a girl. And and he'll he'll like use oh you know he'll just he'll just, the, the the father who is 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 white. He'll like use this white supremacist. Um, sort of thing as as a 
a, a fallback. Oh, you know, it's just white supremacist this, or it's just white supremacist that. And my daughter's like, you know, like, why do you, why are we bringing race into this conversation at all? Mm-hmm. It's not even necessary. But he just sort of puts everything on white supremacy, and she's like, so she was wondering like, what could be her comeback? And which we're like thinking about, you know, it's really a white blindness. It's, and I was like, you know. This, this but when you say he says not, white supremacist, what is he saying? See, he's he's basically he, like he's using it as the default for his missteps, um, you know, in conversation, in behavior, um, or or people who are white, you know, and 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 she just brings it up when it's not even it's not even a part of the conversation. He just sort of just plugs it in, I guess, to show that he's PC or something. I don't know. Um, is he but white? But it's offensive. Yeah, but he's offen- it's offensive because he doesn't oh, know yeah. who he's speaking to because my grandson has a white grandmother. He presents, you know, the way he presents. But, you know, she, so she's just like, yeah. So anyway, um, so I was just wondering, like, okay, so when she said that, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to let people say white supremacy around me anymore without interrupting them <laughs> with, you know, letting mm-hmm. them like, look at what does this mean and how is this affecting the people that are not white in this environment because of that mm-hmm. word, supremacy, you know? Yeah, it, it, it or, seems completely yeah. out of order to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so that's why I asked you the question. And thank you for the okay. very um, – <laughs> Yeah, thanks for the yeah, it was a real I, I liked I liked the complexity of the answer because it is a complex question and it is an issue that, you know, it's sort of like I think about Dr. Uh, Frances Cress Welsing and her work, right? And and this is just sort of um a new take on the the argument that she had, you know, with the person who saw us as unequal and undeserving um of of intellectual um uh I guess um see uh you know just like to even just think that we are intelligent beings you know because we are people of African descent um you know and and how she just really shut him down at Stanford University um in in that in that um debate that they had with Shockley is who I'm speaking of mm-hmm. Oh okay yeah. Mhm yeah so I hope I hope you're able to offer your day long um and I can come <laughs> Yes, and uh, I, in fact, know, in it is. It's, it's in it's February twenty second. Oh, you have February twenty second. Super. Oh yeah, okay. February twenty second, and we do a we do an interactive museum and mm. displays, and we're going to have the Harriet Tubman Room, the Underground Railroad Room. We have the Obama Room, the Dr. King Room, and and it it covers that same timeline. And so yes, that'll nice. be nice. Not for the radio, you know. Where's... I don't want to put a plug. This interview, you know, is about the. This steering committee of uh, the uh, training that's coming up, but it's, but it's, uh, my, you know people can't come. It's 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 at capacity. So when is yours? I mean, where is yours? And how? February twenty second. Where at though? And uh, it's at uh, at our. Church.